that time, we have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. So I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And B.J. Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. Every Pinsker. Welcome to the Net Live, ladies uh, and gentlemen. We're going to hope to hang on this week. Yeah, do we need to explain that opening at all? We thought it only fitting after Vivaldi Winter opened, uh, well, not opened, closed the show last week for those that were listening live. About 20 minutes into the show? Yeah, and put it into the middle of the show last week for those that uh, were not listening live and getting this via podcast. We thought it only appropriate to select perhaps some uh, different music to open the show with. So there it was. That's a little uh, Pavarotti. What yeah. is that? Uh, something immobile. I forget the beginning, but uh, that was funny, Kevin. That was that was. I'm going to give you full credit for that. Good work. By and you. anyone who thought of Family Guy when that came on, good for you, because <laughs> that's a great film and features that music with Nicolas Cage and volleyball connection to Family Guy. Anyone? Anyone? Nope. Chip McCaw's wife, Amber Valletta, uh-huh. yeah. supermodel. Yep. Actually, the girlfriend of Nicolas Cage in his richer life in Family Guy. Great. Pull by you, Kevin. There's your six degrees of volleyball Welcome. connection. Way to add something to the show. Welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. We are on a high, an emotional high. Jeremy might be on an emotional low. Well, an energy low, but an emotional energy high. Low. Energy low for sure. Coming off of an incredible week of work, the World Series of Beach Volleyball, as well as Long Beach Grand Slam, happened this past week. And I was there. Jeremy was there. Reed allegedly showed up uh, one day. Allegedly. Geeter was there. Eval was there. Everybody was there. I saw Hovland, Dodd, Smith, Stoklos. Did not see Karai. But I'm sure there were others there from the halcyon days of beach volleyball for this event. And, of course, all the talent from around the world was there. We have lots of audio for you, quite a few audio interviews, as well as Casey Patterson coming on the show. He and partner Jake Gibb won the World Series of Beach Volleyball and finished fourth at the Grand Slam event. We'll have him on. We'll also have their coach, who's apparently been doing magic. Apparently. Because this has been a great year for Patterson Gibb. Tyler Hildebrandt will join us as part of ABCA Coaches Corner to discuss coaching beach and some of the differences. And with a lot of each programming starting around the United States at the junior level, at the college level, what do coaches need to do? How do they need to take their indoor experience? Because you know there are going to be a lot of indoor coaches who are getting beach jobs and learning to coach the game of beach volleyball. And while it is still volleyball, we know there's some unique aspects to the beach side of things, the two-person game, the smaller court, etc. So we will have Tyler Hildebrandt on for that. World Series. I had forgotten how cool it is to be at an international event. Oh, yeah. How different it is. To be at an international event versus a domestic event. Yeah. This is my 10th year working volleyball events. So your first international. Second. No? You were there for I the last one. I was there for the last one. I vaguely remember it. I remember it being at the Home Depot Center, now known as the StubHub Center. Stupid. And Stupid. Sears Tower and the Home yeah. Depot Center. Period. <laughs> because it was my first year, like, I don't, I didn't know what to expect. So I have, I, it's hard, I can't compare the two. Um, other than one was 
inland. This one was on the beach. But I thought they did a fantastic job. I mean, seeing the best players in the world live, for me, 100% better than watching it on TV. Because you get to see how the, all the players interact with each other. Like, all these guys are friends. Like, on the AVP tour back in the day, you know, all the players know each other. It's a small group of people. They're friends. They hang out off the court, blah, blah, blah. And I was curious how that is with international players. And it's pretty much the same way, too. Like, they're friends with each other off the court. They know each other. They stay at each other's places when they're in their respective countries, whatever. Um, so that was cool to see, too. But obviously, when they all step on the court, they're ready to, you know, they come with the fire. It is a traveling circus. For sure. And you get that feel from it that it, that everyone does know one another and the personnel the, all the way down to the folks who are running the event, the folks who are doing some of the physical training, certainly the athletes and the normal flow of things. It is interesting to to be a part of that. Well, you spend your whole summer with these people. You probably see them more than you do your own family. And some of them you may know even better than your family because, A, you're friends with them, and then, B, if you play against them all the time, you know their tendencies on the court, too. So you really know the people you're competing against. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and intimately, too, because oh, you yeah. are spending all this time together in the hotel. Yep. Uh, that reminds me. need to make a note here for later <laughs> in the program. Speaking of, speaking of hotels, you need to book a room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Ryan Doherty and his, uh, his blog. It's an interesting read. I don't know if you read that about about the event, it was shown to me. And how disappointed he was in the hotel accommodations, the shuttle accommodations, and the way the tournament was run. Behind the scenes. Not, well, we'll get to it. Let me put it like this. I've been around a long time working events, not only sports events, but any type of event. And any time it's a... First, this is the first event like this in the United States mm -hmm. because it combines so much other stuff. For a first-time event, they did a really good job, I thought. Now, some of the things that Ryan talked about in his blog, I did not – I didn't know about their hotel accommodations, their travel to and from the hotel. I was not around for that, or that did not affect me. But from a event perspective with the music they had going on um, to the bands, to the acts, to the matches, like I think the fans – who I'm sure will chime in on our message board today, I think the fans saw something that they hadn't seen in the United States in a long time, or some of them may have never seen it before, ever. I think it was a treat for them. Definitely. I mean, these are players you only read about or get to see via a stream on the Internet. And yep. to actually be there and be able to stand next to the court, one of the four outer courts, you could just stand right up next to them. Especially on Tuesday, I was out there, and there's lots of great international matches happening. Mm -hmm. And you can be right there. Yeah. And it's cool to have other languages being spoken. You see the other players out there watching their countrymen or their friends from other countries play. Oh, yeah. My buddy was watching, I think it was Latvia, I think is what he said. But they, the, the players were arguing with each other. Right. And my buddy had no idea what they were saying. And he's like, you know, I think it was better that I didn't know what they were saying because I was just guessing what they were saying to each other. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. You're getting the, the feel. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the hotel problems were for NBC because I dropped Marlo off at the Westin a couple of blocks up the street from the tournament, and he seemed quite happy to be staying at the Westin in Long Beach. Maybe the players should have been there. Um, they were stationed near the airport, I believe, is what I heard, right? That's not good. You're out by the Long Beach airport? You're, how far are you from the tournament at that point? I don't know. Too far. 
I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know who pays for it, how much, what kind of deal you get. I have no idea all that stuff. But it's got to be expensive to put all those people up. Oh, hugely expensive. And yeah. that's part of the deal is the promoter has to deal with that. The promoter is the one who's responsible. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been one of the big issues, I think, when it has come to um, getting these events placed and keeping these events in business. We've seen some events which are, by all accounts, a success from a standpoint of the competition and the fans, but the promoter fades away because the promoter can't handle the, the onerous burden of accommodations and food and so on, what they're responsible yeah. for when it comes to the players. Well, let's also point out, too, this event was free. Right. There's no gate. Yeah. So you don't have that to pay for things as well. Maybe in the future they will. I was surprised that um, surprised that there wasn't a fee for this because I think fans would have, especially because it wasn't in Hermosa or Manhattan. Um, you're pot committed by the time you drive to Long Beach. Yeah, because if you're going to Long Beach, you're going to this event because there's not really a lot of walking by traffic right there. Um, so that, in a way, hurts because you don't have just random people going, oh, what is that? Let me go over there and see it. But it's also like it's a destination. Like if you're going to Long Beach, you're coming to this event. But maybe Leonard and his promoter or friends would ask themselves, if we charge $15, yep. how many people do we lose? How much money is really at stake? That's true. Like how much are you going to make? There is not much money at stake. Th- that, that event is a success or a failure before it starts. Correct. I, I'm with you on that. From a standpoint of a business, right? right? You've sold sponsorships. You've gotten strategic partnerships. You have all those things happening before you even open the doors. Yes. Actually have some audio with Leonard. Why don't we give that a listen right now? Because he actually speaks to whether he feels like it's a success and what the future planning is associated with this event. Will you see this event again? Will the Long Beach thing happen another time. Let's listen to Leonard Armato. Women's gold medal match in the background right now happening here on Friday afternoon in Long Beach here with Leonard Armato. This is your brainchild here. Is it fair to call that? Well, you could call it that. I mean, it's an expression of beach volleyball that hasn't been imagined yet. And it really does combine all these amazing elements that exist in pop culture, beach culture, with the best in the world. Um, You know, the best players that play in the Olympic Games, from the United States and around the world. And we sort of culminate everything with what we call the World Series Cup, which is a little bit like uh, a Ryder Cup competition, uh, our top athletes versus the top athletes in the world. But we also combine all elements of volleyball. We want to be very inclusive. So you have four-person, six-person, and then we wrap a music festival around the whole thing. So hopefully it's got something for everybody, the ultimate beach experience. I came down here on Tuesday. I was pretty impressed with the crowd that was here on a Tuesday afternoon. Friday looks way better. I can imagine Saturday and Sunday are going to be killer. How's the response been to some of the evening programming and some of the other programming that's going on outside of the tournament? Well, everybody's been really supportive and extremely excited about what we're trying to create. This is the first year, so obviously we're starting to build. Um, But best players in the world playing has been extraordinary. People appreciate that. Whenever the USA is on center court, you get a really raucous crowd, and that's fun to watch and, and, and fun to be a part of. And I think this is just going to continue to build. I mean, we haven't hit Saturday yet. I think Saturday will be bigger than Friday. And Friday we had some awesome matches where the crowd was really involved. Uh, and then I believe that the culmination of the World Series Cup will be really, really outstanding and become a coveted prize. And then the part of, you know, beach culture that really needs to be celebrated is here too, especially since we in Southern California really take credit for really beginning the whole beach culture idea. Right. 
Okay, so I, I came and started at the summer on Tuesday, and I was amazed at the atmosphere with the international players. I'd forgotten how cool it is with the international players. What do you think? What do you think that is that I'm feeling when I'm here, when it's an international tournament versus just a domestic tournament? I think you're feeling that it's something very important. The best in the world are here. A little bit like you feel when the Olympic Games comes around. You know, there's an excitement, there's an enthusiasm that exists, there's a global feeling, which is really cool to experience. And you also feel like the stakes are very high because it's something that means a lot to everybody, not just in the United States, but around the world. How did you guys go about putting together the sponsor village? I see there's cruise companies out there. ASICS has a huge presence, of course, with the whole tournament, the ASICS World Series. ASICS, I remember, in the early 90s was the brand. Like You wanted to wear ASICS when you were playing, indoors, outdoors, it didn't matter. They kind of faded away. It seems like they're making a big push back into the sport. Yeah, well, ASICS is really on a growth trajectory right now. Their CEO of North and South America, Kevin Wolf, has done a great job revitalizing the brand, making it more youthful. I think ASICS, you know, sort of evolved into an older person's brand, and, and now they're pushing, you know, very, very hard into youth and youth culture, and I think they're doing a nice job of that. This event is a real great example of that where you're combining, you know, so many different elements of pop culture, and then I think helps and gives a halo effect to the ASICS brand. How did you put together the rest of the sponsor village? Well, the rest of Sponsor Village is designed to provide a great interactive experience. I mean, we don't want ragtag tents out there. We want to make create a structure that, pe that has high perceived value. We have some wonderful companies that have supported us, everybody from Bud Light to Sabra. Um, we have Paul Mitchell. You know, MGM is with us here today, which is fantastic. Um, we have Zico, you know, uh, partly owned by Coca-Cola. Um, so we've got some wonderful sponsors that are activating. We have Nest Tea. So, I mean, if you're thirsty, you're going to be doing very, very well to be here. <laughs> when will you know if this has been a financial success? Well, whenever you build something new, you have to make an investment. We are making an investment in the hope that it will become something of value and we can build equity in the concept. I do believe the World Series of Beach Volleyball, backed by the FIVB, is a very good combination. Um, what we have conceived of hasn't been done before, and it seems to be well-received by everyone that's come down here. I haven't heard anything negative, but only positive comments. So hopefully next year we can really build this to a whole new level. All right, so it's definitely coming back next year. Oh, for sure. We have a multi-year agreement with ASICS. ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball will be here next year and in the foreseeable future. So uh, we're excited about that. But we have our job to do because I'm not satisfied with what we have today. Even though the, the platform and the, and the foundation is in place, we really do need to do some things to build this even bigger, but I think it can be done. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. There you go, Leonard Armato. Way to dominate that interview, Kevin. It was a good VIP section up there, kind of hanging out. Lots of interesting folks hanging out. Uh, Leonard, I like Leonard because you can tell he's used to controlling a room. Oh, yeah. When he speaks. He's a professional. Yeah. He he is used to controlling the room and controlling the message. Not his first rodeo, Kevin. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Beyond me uh, by quite a bit. So uh, fun to talk to Leonard. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we talked about the gate and, and that idea, and we talked about the, the financial side, and you heard him. He wants to stick around. That says to me, we didn't make money this year. We invested this year. Well, like I mean, you, if you look at it as a startup business, like what this is, nobody makes money their first year. Unless you were extremely time. fortunate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I thought it was a good event. The TV coverage, of course, huge, 25 hours, something like that. 20 plus for sure. I heard, yeah, 23 to 26. Like I mean, it was a lot. All over there span of networks for NBC. Universal Sports, yeah. as well as Big NBC and NBCSN. 
all over the place, lots of coverage. And my DVR was picking up all kinds of stuff. I saw a couple of nights worth, saw some good matches, and saw some good U.S. matches. And then when it came on NBC, they played up the Olympics pretty heavy. And that's great to see them doing that, to see NBC, big NBC, actual NBC, not NBCSN. Yeah, like real turn on Channel 4, whatever it is, wherever you live, NBC. Not Universal, which I don't even have. I don't either. I'm on it all the time, but I don't even yeah. have it. So you should get it for free, I think, since you're uh, on it. Somehow. <laughs> but Time Warner does not have it. They will soon. Here in September, they have an agreement coming up. But they are on real NBC, and that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, this was, we didn't even have even talked about, this was Carrie's first domestic event since Santa Barbara last year, maybe, for the yeah. AVP event. Yeah. yeah. Now, I would argue they're going to have to find somebody new pretty quick here. Other than I know, Carrie? I know Carrie wants to go to 2014, or 2016. She'll be the story. She makes it. Of course. But you've got to have somebody in the wings here. Look, who's that person? April. Okay. Casey Patterson. Casey Patterson, good. Um, Summer Ross? Could be. She have a great story about Summer Ross later. She had a great tournament. Yep. She's got to work on her media training. If anyone saw her interview, <laughs> it was a little bit painful. It reminded me of a certain interview we had here on the show recently. Was it painful? I, I We had some of it in the house at Allen Stadium, and I heard it. Um, obviously, I'm doing other things, but I remember they're like, how do you feel about you know being back in Long Beach? She's like, it's great. It's great. Yeah. She's t- just turned 20 not too long ago. I know. She's gonna give, her some, give her a break. Kevin. I'm not banging her up. No, I know you're not. I'm not no, banging no. her up. I'm just saying we, we need to get her on a little bit of expressing who she is. She's out there yeah. having a good time. Obviously, she's on t- she's nervous. Of course. She'll get there. I just I, No, I know. I'm with she you. might be. She but played she, well. So, and some of the other players are talking like they're – when other players, U.S. players, are like, yeah, you need to keep an eye on her. That says something to me. And by the way – no knock against Summer at all whatsoever. But when you see her walk onto the court and somebody goes high line and she attempts to run it down, you're like, there's no way she's going to get that. And then all of a sudden she pops it up perfectly. You're like, how did she get there? Because she doesn't look like she's fast enough to get there. And all of a sudden she's there, Kevin. We talked about her decision to play beach exclusively and drop out of college. And I didn't think it was a good idea. Well, after this weekend, I might be persuaded that it wasn't such a bad choice. But we'll see. Well, we you brought it up. When you came to see Dustin and Gator and I in the booth, like, you know, we, you brought up that question, and Dustin said, well, what's the end goal for her? Is it the Olympics? Then, yeah, it may have been a good idea to jump on the beach. If it's money, like straight-up money right now, no, because you can make more money indoor. But it depends on what her end goal is. Does she need, like, does she need, I don't know what her family background is. I don't know, like, does she need the money? No, I mean, she she jumped out of indoor a while ago. She jumped out of indoor to jump to Pepperdine to play beach mm-hmm. two years ago. So and won, she didn't win the, she won the individual, they won the team when she was at Pepperdine. I know they won. I just couldn't I remember. I did that event, too. Uh, they won the individual. Okay. And then she's like, and I'm out. Yeah, and she's she's better. Somebody had a good comment that she's way better than anybody in college. I would agree with that. I mean, she's out there competing with the best the world has to offer. Mm-hmm. So maybe not a bad decision for Summer Ross to forego college to play internationally. If your goal is the Olympics and going to have a long career, get started now. She's certainly at that level. So I, I may be changing my thinking on that, having having watched her play in person. Yeah. Um, they should have been playing for the gold. They had match point. You know, I watched them on TV. Had to be Thursday night. Yes. And 
They won the match, but they gave away points at match point. Yep. It cost them on Friday. Correct. It certainly cost them. They ended up finishing fourth. Good weekend. Yes. Best finish ever. But it cost them. You cannot give away points when you have match point. You have to put your boot on the throat and finish them. So tell them, put the teeth on the curb. You're getting a stomp right now. That's what you need. According to BJ, Summer won the individual title at the 2012 AVCA Sand Championships and helped Pepperdine yes. to the team title. Thank yes. you, BJ. Way to come in strong. They took both. Nice to see you this weekend. They beat Caitlin Rasich and... Oh, I'm trying to think of her name. Tara Renicky sure. from Long Beach. Okay. There you go. Look that one up. I'm with you on that. Hey, let's hear from Emily Day because I had a chance to catch up with her in the A6 booth there at the tournament. I had a chance to catch up with Emily and talk to her about the partnership with Summer and just kind of about her plan. All right, Grand Slam event here at FIVB, hanging out with Emily Day after fourth place finish now? Yeah, How What an incredible run. Tell me about this event and coming into it being on U.S. soil, what a difference it made for you and Summer Ross. Yeah, uh, we absolutely loved playing in front of the home crowd and having our family and friends here. You know, we've been on the road competing, so it was great to be at home. Is this your best result for this year? Yes. Yes, we took a fifth in Stodd, but previous to that, we've been getting 17th. So. <laughs> okay, so what's the difference? You guys are kind of on an upswing. Um, playing together. This has been our fourth tournament together and just building confidence with one another and training and, you know, just competing and getting better each tournament. When Summer left school, it didn't seem like a good idea. Now it looks like maybe more of a better idea. How did your partnership come together? Uh, just from, I mean, we played in two tournaments last year together and uh, with the same goal and being driven and practicing together, it's kind of happened. <laughs> What's been the difference in your game this year? You came from the indoor side. How much experience did you have on the beach before you started playing full-time? I would play during the summers in college, so that kind of helped me ease the transition. And then I just decided to fully commit to beach volleyball. And uh, each What year was that? Let's see. I would play, I graduated in 09, and then I played overseas for two years. So I guess it was the end of 2011, 2012, that I decided to, yeah, it would be 2011, just beach. Okay, so only a couple of years of experience, really full-time beach. Right. Where do you think is the area you've improved the most? Where do you think is the area you need to improve the most? Um, I think I've improved the most with, like, court vision, you know, not just getting up there and swinging as hard as I can. Well, why not? I mean, that's... I it seems like a good idea to me. That's the best part of the game, but I kind of got blocked a lot. Um, other than that, I, I mean, I still need to work on that, though. The side-out game is so important. Mm -hmm. And then as a team, we need to work on our uh, defense. But that's going to come with time. <laughs> How about your support network? I saw your sister, Laura, here earlier today, and she said you do have kind of a little crew that travels around with you. Yes, I have an awesome support crew. Even when we're at a weight tournament, they're watching online or watching the live feed and uh, sending me text messages and emails. And I mean, I had like a great crowd for us, so I, it, it's awesome. Who's the ringleader of your posse? Oh dear, I'm gonna get in trouble if I point out one of them. So, I mean, I have my sister, I have my mom and dad, I have my high school friends I grew up with who have watched
Destiny Play since CBVAs and, you know, Allie and Trevor and oh, everyone. And then I have people back at home at, like, the yard in Hermosa, and they're always following me, so. Troll? Yes, he's awesome, Troll. You like Troll? Is it a love-hate relationship? Oh, it's a love-love. It's a love-love with <laughs> yeah, Troll. Yeah, he's great. So, yeah. Okay, any sponsors you need to thank? Um, I need to thank my sponsors, Yoga City and Rocks Apparel. Okay, congratulations. Cool, thanks. Hey, the end of that is one thing that these guys got to start doing. Here we go. Get out your glasses. Get out your Grand Marnier, your Pucker, your Jack Daniels. You said Pucker. Whatever. Whatever your, whatever your drink of choice is, get it out and get it ready because that's a big part of motocross. Oh, boy. There Mention your sponsors. You set that up, by the way. That was a big setup to throw motocross in there. Mention your sponsors. How come that's not a question at the end of every interview? Or how, how come that's not something that every single one of those players throws in? Just deliberately. Not used to it. Not used deliberately. To it. Say your sponsors. Do your moto guys have agents? Yes. That's the difference. And they have teams. That's the difference. And the team manager gets freaking pissed if you don't mention your sponsors. That's the difference. Thor Parts Unlimited. You know, you have to say your sponsors. Do it. And, and I talked to a team manager who actually is married to one of uh, Mike Dodd's sisters. Again, connection, bringing it back to volleyball. Mark Peters. He, uh, Mark Peters? Uh, oh, that's a track builder. Um, but he works for a big team in motocross. Yep. Used to work in Indy. Mm-hmm. Married to a Dodd sister. Mm-hmm. And he, it's one of the, his complaints with one of his riders they were talking about is that he, that rider did, got on TV, never gets on, right? Yeah. Gets on. Says something stupid, plus never mentions the sponsors. you got to mention your sponsors. If you want sponsors, you better mention whoever is supporting Everyone. you. Like you're actually having sponsors well, and you're going to roll, roll them for the camera. Let me ask you this, though. How often has Emily Day been interviewed? Once, as far as I know. <laughs> I still have red paint on my shirt from seeing her sister earlier. She had Day on her arm, and I gave her a hug. She's like, no, no, watch out, watch out. And then you and I come back, my NetLive shirt is red. It's a, I had a big D on my right arm. That's funny. For Day. Awesome. And Laura Day actually used to babysit I inter- my kids. I introduced myself to Emily Day over the weekend. We follow each other on Twitter. We have talked on Twitter, but she apparently did not know who I am, and I was I rectified that situation. She was walking by, made eye contact. She was like thinking I was just some random fan. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm the person that plays the music for you. As soon as I said that, she's like, oh, hey. But the best part was earlier in the week I had tweeted Jen, April, everybody else playing except for Summer and Emily. I forgot to tweet them saying, you know, let me know if there's any songs you want. Um, But Emily must have seen that and then just responded to that tweet telling me what they wanted to hear. And one of Summer's was uh, Baby by Justin Bieber. So she went beeps. She went beeps. And I told Emily, I was like, I don't know Summer at all whatsoever. I've never met her. Beeps. But let her know, and this is no offense to her at all whatsoever, but I would not be playing Baby by Bieber ever. You don't have Bieber in the computer. No. And it's not because I'm a Bieber hater. It's just I have a reputation to uphold. So it's just not going to happen ever. Ever. I, such One an time ever. Not ever. Of the fact that she's 20. She yeah, and, that, and that's beeps. fine. And that, that, there's Don't no... be a crotchety old guy. Give no, a beep. No, not happening. It's not your show. It's the players. The people come to see the players. I 100% agree, but beep. here's the issue. When I play a song for a player, I don't need you to like run up to me and thank me and hug me. I need some recognition, though. A point to the booth. 
something. Then you had better play Biebs if you want to point to the booth. From, Summer and I have never met, so she's not going to know where to point. So until that happens, until we meet and she's on the level where I can start playing her songs, you got to get to the level, Kevin. People when just can't I, randomly come up to me and ask me for songs and I, if I don't know you. When I interview Summer, yeah. when we get her here on the show, yep. we're going to play Biebs for her. I'm Come gonna, on. I'm going to have to download it to my computer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if everything stays together. <laughs> uh, Bieber. So I wonder, because I read a rumor, drink, that oh, Emily sorry. Day and Summer Ross won't stay together for another tournament, but it sounded like they will there. So I don't, I don't know if it's more rumors. They just finished fourth. I, I know. I know. But, but what I wonder is, not about the rumor, mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying I've read that rumor, but what, what my wonderment is, is will somebody like Carrie or April or Jen try and poach Summer? Here is my thought on that. Somebody would have to get hurt. Like if Carrie got hurt, if April got hurt, something along those lines. Okay. Well, I wonder if there won't be some poaching eventually here. Oh, yeah. That a name player, no, no discount to Emily, just a name player yeah. will try and take the hot young talent. Four years is a long time from now, or three and a half, whatever it is, before the next Olympics. Um, a lot can happen. And Emily, to her credit, too, by the way, has gotten a lot better. Because I'd seen her play domestically before. This is the first time I've seen... I'd seen Summer play when she was still in high school when she came out on tour. Yeah. Um, so Emily's going to get better. I mean, she... In that interview, it was funny. She mentioned, like, she needs to... She's seen the game better and not not always swing away. Swinging away was what got them to the medal rounds. And what cost them at and the what end, cost they them, were not swinging. In my professional opinion, and I don't play volleyball, she had swing for match point. You need to swing away. In my professional opinion, and I played a little bit of volleyball, <laughs> I, I would tell her this. If I was her coach, when it gets to match point, no roll shots. Ever. No jumbos. No. You rip that thing. If you're up at the net, you get served, you pass. you are hitting the ball. Yeah. You end the match with authority. You mm-hmm. don't end the match hoping to end the match. That's not the shot. The shot is not, oh, I want to just, just try and get this over with. Oh, I'm thinking. You're overthinking. Mm-hmm. No. You win by reacting, right? It's just like Maverick says. There's no time to think. You're just reacting. I remember talking to Fenoy, Eric Fenoy Moana, about that. He's like, I will never, ever, ever shoot. For match, you no. like I'm swinging every single time. I can tell every you, time. I can tell you, like, you I don't care if I get time. absolutely roofed. I'm absolutely swinging. Every match I've <laughs> ever I've ever closed with a kill. Yeah. Only once have I closed it with a shot. One time. One time against SC in the old North Gym or whatever that crappy windowed mm-hmm. gym. Five set match. Don Sujo, Gabe Gardner on the other side. Seifert, Chris mm-hmm. Seifert on the other side. Five set match. Craziness back and forth. By the way, I never tipped in college, and I roll shot it over the block to win it. Wow. I don't know why. Yeah, it just happened. Didn't plan on it. Just happened. Just roll shot it over the block But to you win. weren't thinking about it. Absolutely not. Never, never never thought about it. I don't know why that happened, but that's the one time. But on match point, you have it. You swing at the ball. Emily Day, you're a good hitter. Do it. Do it. I bet you she, won't have those problems. Yeah. Um, B.J. Evans says Emily is registered for Berlin with Whitney Pavlik. I don't know. All right, so the rumors are true. And that's another question, too, like where, and this came up over the weekend, like Whitney's kind of lost in the shuffle in this. Whitney is, 
Winnie, a really good volleyball player, by the way. seven partners in six tournaments. I don't know how you do that. And she and Jenny Krupp dominated the Jose Cuervo Tour. They're two seasons on it. Right. One year they won all of them. Last year, I think. Yeah, all of them except for whatever the shootout the was Milwaukee in Milwaukee. Thing. But all the Opens, they won every single one of them. Right, last year. Um, and then that's the other question is, where is Jenny Krupp? Where in the world is Jenny Krupp? Is she wearing red and white vertical stripes? Don't know. In a crowd? Apparently, she. Uh, there's some reasoning in the next Volleyball Magazine article. Yep. I haven't seen it yet, A little bit of insight into that. Um, also, BJ, just dropping knowledge today. Summer is registered with Brooke Niles. This just makes no sense to me. Who, not too far off of having a child. Yeah, just, I don't know. This is not making a lot of sense to me, but we'll have to wait and see the results, and perhaps it will make more sense after that. Speaking of results, I'm a little concerned about the website and the app, because I looked yesterday. If you're going to make the World Series of Beach Volleyball a little better, this is one of my complaints, and I let them know this, not in a negative way, but like here's something you need to work on. I need the results in the app. Not the, not the match times two days after it's over or a day after it's over. I need the results on the website. It's not on there. And, and if it is, I can't find it. It's not obvious. I understand the website and the app are kind of leading into and during. But even during, there's nothing new on the website. For results, it sends me to the FIVB page. Can I get some World Series results? You had to go to USAV to find that out. Yeah, but it doesn't say that anymore. No, with you. Here's, here was a... Um, critique I had, and I, I'm hoping it'll be fixed for next year. If you would have had a bracket on that app, even if it wasn't updated live, but updated right. not too long after the matches ended, right? every single person, let's say 80% of the people at that event, and then however many fans across the country would have downloaded the app just for the bracket yes. to see how it was all panning out as it went on. And all the bracket is is a JPEG, for God's sakes. Upload and upload a new one each time to make it really simple. It doesn't have to be some crazy technical deal. It just has to be somebody with access to upload a new image for the bracket. Yeah, because the app, by the way, was I mean, for what it was, it, like for the first time again, it was pretty legit. Like nobody else in volleyball has that app, so you are the first person getting everybody's information. You know what? It was typical though, because I, I spent a little time in the app space. My wife worked for a startup yep. app company that mm -hmm. actually I, I was fairly familiar with, Mobile Roadie, who did that app. Mm -hmm. And it's fairly typical in that some of it works, some of it doesn't. They don't understand why that is. But parts of it you would click on and it would say, you know, no, nothing here or not, not domain or whatever. It's like don't put the button in the app until it actually does something for me. Yeah. But, yeah, and there's, there's a lot of places to go. I'm, I'm sure Leonard will have a complete postmortem on the event. You want to get an idea of how small the volleyball world is? I do. Tuesday I'm walking out of the event after being there for a couple of hours. And I see Furbringer, just say hi to him briefly, and he's Furby. walking along with uh, a couple other guys. And turns out one of the guys he's walking with is Hans Brinkborg, Swedish guy, plays on the tour. And Hans says to me, Kevin, I played a match with you, your first match in Mosaic. I said, what? First match ever. First professional match Yeah. in Mosaic. I'm like, what? Really? This is 1998. He says, yeah, I played libero on the first match that you were there, right after you arrived, before they hired Marco Cloak, who's a Dutch guy, who replaced him. I said, really? 
So that means you came in for me because they were like stubbing the libero in for me at outside hitter because I had just arrived like a day and a half or two days earlier yeah. to join the team. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you my flight schedule in a second. But it was just so random. I'm walking down the beach in Long Beach, and, and here is Hannes Brinkborg telling me about 1998. That's really funny. And I did not remember. I mean, he's he's about my age, a little younger than me. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was 23 at the time, so he had to be around 20. And I have, I have no memory of it other than I remember getting subbed out for the libero because they weren't sure what yeah. was going on with me. Because here was my flight schedule. We played world championships in, a, in Japan, mm-hmm. a couple-week tournament. I'd played every match. And then dominated, swung for, for, swung for all match set points. Yeah, swung for him, didn't tip. I actually had 40, 40, 40 against Russia that year, Love 39 it. maybe Love that you know against your Russia. Yep. Yeah, that was my, I think it's my career high. That's why I know that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oh, is that that poster that's downstairs on your wall? Yeah, that one. <laughs> the, the wall, yeah, full size, Kevin. The, uh, the flight schedule was Tokyo to L.A., mm-hmm. got picked up by my then-girlfriend, now-wife, mm-hmm. drove to San Diego with her, spent the night in San Diego, next morning flew San Diego, L.A., L.A., Denver, Denver, Colorado Springs, got into Colorado Springs about 8.30 at night, mm-hmm. went to Tom Hoff's house, changed out all of my stuff from World Championships to all of my stuff to go for six months in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Drove that night to Denver, back to Denver, to stay with my aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. Got up at 5 a.m. for my 7 o'clock flight out of DIA to fly to Chicago to visit my father for a couple of hours in the airport. Then Chicago... When you could, he met you at the gate. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. I, I came out. You know, It wasn't as big a deal back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. So then I flew to Chicago, spent two hours with my dad. Chicago to Washington... Washington to Brussels. Wow. That was my day, or two days, basically. Sounds awful. Three on the, on, two days for me, three days on the clock. Yes. And I get there, and I remember I had video. I wish I still had it. I went, I went over it. I was going to do a video diary. Yeah. So early days, like Tim Kelly was a little ahead of the curve, asked me to do like a blog each week. Yeah, and yeah. I wrote a bunch of entries and stuff. I still have them somewhere. On that poster downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> right next to it. My words of wisdom. Yep. But I remember seeing video of myself that I had shot. And I look like a raccoon. I've That's never awesome. looked like that. I'm That's, so yeah. black Your under body the eyes. Like I can't handle this. I was a mess. That's funny. And that was actually one thing that Hans said. He says, "Yeah, you were really tired when you showed up. <laughs> you didn't look good. No, what you were saying is you look like crap. I looked awful. Kevin, are you tired? What are you trying to say? <laughs> you want to fight? <laughs> exactly." So that's just an idea of how small it is and how, how cool it is sometimes to be a part of the, the international scene. You run into people you'd never think you'd run into. Well, you were talking about it earlier. I mean, all the people that came out, you know, Sinjin, Stoke Close. But then you had national team players there. Rich Lamborn was there. Obviously, you had Reed apparently showed up at some point. Allegedly. Um, but you had, you know, obviously the six-man tournament was going on in the outer courts. You know, you, you had a lot of the volleyball world and names in the volleyball world out there. All right, we're going to take a short break here on the Net Live. We're going to be right back. Still to come on the show, Casey Patterson, Boom. Tyler Hildebrandt. Boom. And we will tell you why and who has become barrel man in the world of volleyball. <laughs> who is the barrel man? Who is the guy that shows up in the same outfit, and we're going to be auctioning off his outfit eventually upon his death, perhaps doing charity events. By the way, did a charity event with barrel man. More on that. In a moment, here on the Net Live. Very interesting. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies. And I'm not proud of my dress. 
Between you and my wife, you keep me on the straight and narrow here with the music. You're I, welcome. I knew this one. You did. Stevie Wonder. Exactly. 100% Stevie Wonder. Yeah, Lordus Royals. I, I've actually, I actually took this one in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not Skype, doggone it, Pandora. What's the? Shazam. Spotify. Shazam. Thank you. I Shazammed it uh, a couple of weeks ago for the wife and played it. That's a, that's a solid, solid song right Got there. Got one million requests for that this weekend. Did you? One million. Okay, I think Counted them. The sound of them is kind of like the sound of All Saints. And I, I really liked All Saints back in the day. They they produced some some top notch, good looking. I want to hook up with you videos. <laughs> All Saints were whoo. Yeah. You know they had sweet British accents too. That's awesome. They were they were the shizzle back around 2000. I remember listening to them being in Vienna. You said shizzle. I don't know. Okay. I'm not cool. It's all right. That's all right. Hey, this guy is cool though. Our first guest is definitely cool. Oh, wait for it. I gotta wait. Wait for it. I don't even know what they're doing there. I know. A little, it's a shaker. A little shaker. Oh. <laughs> if you could see him right now and he's hearing this music, he's popping and locking. He's throwing down some dance moves and they're looking solid because he's put on 45 pounds of muscle in the last year. <laughs> he's got a beautiful wife named Lexi. He has two beautiful kids, Cash and Guy. And it's been a beautiful season in 2013. A new partner in Jake Gibb and a new normal among the world's elite beach volleyball players. Welcome into the show once again. A man whose big head we hope to have here soon to put in the studio next to the one of Reed Pretty, Casey Boom Patterson. What's up? So we come on. What what moves were you throwing there while we were playing that? You you were definitely throwing something. 
Yeah, I was going a little neckle because I'm driving. So I was doing a little side-to-side. <laughs> a little seat dance. baby body roll. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, Casey, this has been an incredible year. You and your partner, Jake Gibb, had a win in Shanghai. You finished second in Corrientes. You're third now at World Champs. And now you take home the WSOBV title, the World Series title. Did you think coming into this year it would be this good? <laughs> to be honest, I did not. Of course, you uh, you know, as an athlete, you work hard and you dream about it. But for stuff like that to actually happen, I keep getting you know texts even from Lexi. Just is this real life? Are you really this good? Nice. <laughs> so uh, I told her, you know, I guess you know we're getting there, getting close. So it's uh, it's been awesome. It's uh, definitely a dream season so far. Casey DJ Roche here. Um, I have a follow up to that. I remember when. Uh... You guys told me you and Jake were partnering together, and I mentioned on the show, I was like, we asked how good you guys were going to be. I was like, look, they're going to have up and downs because you're a new team. you got to learn each other, and you've had a lot more ups yeah. than downs this season. What do you uh, attribute that to? You know, I, I like to, a lot of people ask that question because uh, everyone kind of wants to know, you know, when someone finally starts becoming a little more successful, uh, uh, you know, what are the secrets? And, you know, I, Good because Jake is uh, is number one. He's been uh, the number one reason why I, you know, our team has been successful because uh, the level of play that that guy can play at is amazing. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for how good of a level player he is. I think he's been, you know, Rosie just being the showstopper and kind of hogging all the attention. And I don't think I'm helping at all, but he is uh, he is an amazing volleyball player. And his work ethic is, you know, better than most I've seen. But he also surrounds himself with, you know, everything that you need to be successful. It's the right strength and conditioning coach. You know, Tyler Hilderbrand, our our, uh, our coach on the beach. And, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with the people that are going to get us there. And I think that's been huge. And then, you know, our wives have been more than supportive. And, you know, I think all those things coming together has helped us be able to just focus on being – uh, you know, closer, becoming closer as a team and just focusing on winning. So it's been huge. You said the parts of a program are so important. What parts do you think we're missing? What's been the most important piece you've added? <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, Tyler, Tyler has added a lot of the, the structure from indoor that uh, the national team brings with, you know, the video, the data volley, the scouting reports, the tactics that we use. I think because the beach side is such a hybrid version of what it used to be now with guys being so big and offenses being faster and a lot less shots and, you know, knuckle pokies and a lot more big, high seam swings and, you know, deep line. Everyone's hitting like they're playing six-on-six indoor. And so I think Tyler has helped us kind of morph into being a team that can prepare for the teams that play with that kind of offense or a beach offense. And so he's been a huge a huge tool for us as a team to prepare for all that competition. Did 2012, when you committed to playing defense behind Ryan Doherty, did that make a big difference coming into this season, that experience of having to become a better defender? Absolutely. I think uh, it kind of started with Kevin Wong in 2010 when he asked me to play. Uh, You know, we split, but I was mostly playing defense, and uh, I think that was kind of a baby step. And then I played with Ryan, and uh, that was huge for me because 
being a blocker for most of my beach career, uh, that definitely helped having a seven-footer to play defense behind and kind of also just play domestically and not have a ton of pressure to, to play at such a high level yet. And it kind of prepared me to play with Jake because I was able to get way more comfortable behind a block than I was the year or the year before. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree that, you know, having Ryan as a partner was, was huge in uh, preparing me to play with Jake and have success with him. I know you said that the goal was 2016 when you entered that partnership with Ryan Doherty, but a lot of changes last year, a lot of opportunities for you and for him. How's the relationship been with Ryan and going forward this, this season? You know, we're all good buddies, and I think uh, – all of us traveling on the world tour and hanging out so much that it's it's almost impossible to not be friends and to not, you know, have a good relationship with each other still. And Ryan, he's such a funny and cool guy, and he's so interesting that you can't not love him. And uh, so we get along really well. There's no there's no hard feelings or anything like that. And I mean, it's it's not awkward for any of us. I mean, Rosie, Jake, and Phil, and I, I mean, we're all hanging out playing cards and shot and you know, going to dinner all the time. So we enjoy each other's company, and uh, it's, it's good because we're all good friends and support each other. So, there's yeah, there's no uh, bad blood or anything like that going on. Okay, so you brought up Rosie, and um, you guys beat them for the first time this year. How did uh, how did that feel? Yeah, I mean, I, it felt awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, thanks for not tempering. Was, yeah, thanks for not being politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Uh, you know, they're an amazing team. They score points better than anyone in the world. And uh, so the trick is to just try to figure out how we can get them out of system in the smallest way, uh, you know, as we're on defense and trying to score points on them. And uh, we've lost to them the last two times we played them. So to beat them uh, in our last our last meeting was huge. And uh, it's it's huge for it's huge for me, confidence builder. Uh, it's huge for our team because we know that we can, you know, officially kind of beat anyone now because we've played everyone and we've beat everyone. And so, I mean, for me, it's it's pretty amazing. Okay, so we have uh, a we have a to be able to beat. Oh, go ahead. No, uh, yeah, I'll just I'll finish it off. That just to beat them was was really cool and uh, another stepping stone for me as far as being like a defender and you know trying to establish myself. For USA, it's, it's, it's good for me. We have a great quote of Phil saying, I love beating Brazil. Now we need a quote of you saying, I love beating Phil and Rosie. <laughs> yeah, I love, for sure. I love beating Phil and Rosie. That's too good. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be my go-to now. <laughs> Casey, I heard in the interview um, with NBC yesterday that your guys' game plan was to actually go at Phil, and I saw a lot of that this weekend, or people doing that because yeah. he switched sides to the right. And I mean, his passing definitely looks a little shaky from the right side more than I ever saw it from the left. You know, and it's, it might not have been even so much that his passing was shaky, that we were trying to serve, we were willing to miss, you know, almost 60% of our serve as long as we were serving very aggressive every time. Yeah. I think uh, we watched the world champs, the, the young Dutch team play them, and, and they played them in Stad to go to uh, the semis and beat them pretty good and we watched film on that and that's what they did they were very willing to just go after their serve 
one guy bombs his jump serve, the other guy hits a nasty floater, and they uh, they're 100% okay with missing serves because they side out so well that you know the serves that that they do get in and get Phil and Rosie out of system by serving them tough. Uh, it always pays off. So that was our mentality going into it: was just serve as tough as we can. Yeah, Phil's maybe a little bit new to the right side, and I mean he still sides out better than almost anybody. But if we can get him in a little passing trouble and just a little bit flustered, then hopefully we can kind of break through and take advantage of those points. And I think that's what we did. Casey, looking at your bio, it says you have a degree in recreational management. Is that helping you set up the card game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that helps me organize the card games and the hacky sack uh, drills uh, on layovers, on flights. And, yeah, that's kind of my go-to. <laughs> Hacky sack drills? Who I didn't know that they still made those. Wow, they got to loosen up, get limber. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, Jake travels with it and always in his backpack. So every layover, we hacky sack. Oh, I'm so, so glad uh, I know that information now. I'm does so does glad he wear like that. a Rastafarian hat too? I so mean, I know some sort of woven woven cap. Oh, the best is when you're in like a, a. We were in Shanghai in the airport, and we had like three Chinese dudes in suits jumping in the circle. It was pretty epic. So. Uh, it's uh, definitely a good time for us, but we need to maybe get our route some dreads and uh, some beanies. <laughs> that, that's definitely the kind of thing we need video of. We need oh, YouTube yeah. video of. And as ESPN pointed yeah. out today, they had video of Johnny Menzel getting thrown out of a, a frat party or something. Yeah. They're like, well, this is a great video, but the next time you shoot with your iPhone, turn it sideways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Nothing more it's annoying. A video. Yeah. yeah. Casey, you mentioned earlier yeah. that uh, Jake may not get as much credit as he deserves. Um, he put on one of the most impressive blocking clinics I've seen in a long time in that uh, finals on Sunday with you guys. What were you even yeah. thinking back there? I know you said you were just going to sit down at one point and let Jake take over the game, and you probably could have. Yeah, I I literally wanted to just sit middle back. I didn't think it was appropriate, but I really wanted to. I thought it would be good. Uh he did end up stuffing the ball, so I should have. But he uh, actually, that happens more often than people see because on the world tour, we don't get a lot of coverage of matches we play unless you get to a medal round. Mm -hmm. Jake has an ability to take over matches with his blocking. When he gets on a roll and he reads a hitter well, he is one of the best I've ever seen. Phil is huge, so Phil gets over and he just takes away court. Jake has the ability to read guys' shoulders and put himself in positions where he might not be as big as, you know, a Phil or a, or a Nikolai, but he is technically so good that it uh, it's pretty fun to watch. He did the same thing in, in Switzerland. We played Alisson Emmanuel. We beat him in two. We kind of smashed him. We served Alisson every ball. Jake must have blocked him ten times in two games. It was just like the final yesterday. It was amazing. And then we go and we play the Latvians the next round. He does the same thing. So I'm, <laughs> it makes it so much easier for me. But he is, he is uh, blocking really well this year, and that's been the I think the biggest part to our success so far is that he's been able to score tons of points for our team. Casey, is a little bit of the pressure off of you this year. I mean, you've basically out earned in half a season your whole 2010 through 2012 <laughs> years. It seems like the 54 grand that's reported just through FIVB would buy a lot of diapers and make you feel <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit easier about how things are going. Yeah, right. It's definitely uh, a whole new world for me. It's an eye opener, and uh, it's it's awesome to have a little bit of the yeah the pressure is you know a little bit off because now I can really focus on just staying healthy and 
improving my game instead of worrying about what I'm going to do in the off season to keep from you know having to live in my car uh, with the family. So uh, yeah, Good. it's definitely a huge thing for us is to be able to have that little bit of stability, and then hopefully the sponsors get rolling in and we go from there. No Puerto Rico this winter. No Puerto Rico. Just practice. Yeah, no. No more volleyball with shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, obviously this weekend, if people didn't know, you're one of the best entertainers on the court and not just siding out but popping and locking. Just your haircut. Yeah, just your haircut that we noticed (laughs) that you had boom shaved in the side of your dome. Um, Do other players on the international tour, do they receive that okay or do they take offense to it at all ever? You know, at at first I think it's – I I had to kind of warm up to everybody, but – you know, I mean, for instance, the night before our finals yesterday, I had dinner with Lion King yeah. from Latvia, and we hung out for about two hours. I gave him a ride home from the from the site after playing Six Man with Luke Walton and uh, Scotty Lane and Tyler Elderbrand and Casey Jenny. So, I mean, and Pedro was on our team too. He was playing outside for us. So, you know, for those top ten teams, I think we all have a good respect for them, and I think I've uh, I've kind of slowly ease my way into being able to kind of be myself so that it's not something that they feel is, you know, me being cocky or just kind of being a jerk or a new kid on the block. So I uh, I think they receive it well now. Before, I think it was a little sketchy because <laughs> they just thought I was some new punk. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, definitely now definitely now we're all good buds and it's all into good fun. So uh, and I, I definitely am respectful when games are tied and things are going, you know, I'm not just dancing in front of their face before the handshake. I like to uh, to uh, be a little bit more respectful, but, yeah, but still be myself. Casey Patterson, we know you're a busy guy. We congratulate you on a great year and a fantastic future here in volleyball. You're just 33, but you have quite a few good years left in you here on the beach. As long as you don't put those shoes on, the body should last. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks for uh, being a fan of the show. And, and make sure, you know, you, you mentioned the breakup with Ryan Doherty, but make sure you pick up the drinks, all right? Your year's going a lot better. <laughs> for sure. I'll buy him some dinners here and there. All right. Sounds good. Casey, thanks very much. Good luck on the FIVB. We'll keep following yeah. your progress. Thanks, guys. Love the show. appreciate it. All right, Casey Patterson checking in right after, what was it, weightlifting, I believe it was? He was going. He has two minutes to get into the weight room. Two minutes to get into the weight room. Good. Yep. We'll be talking to his coach here in just a second. They are the fifth-ranked team. Uh, Dalhouse and Rogers, incidentally, are 11th. So that's, Is uh, that updated Cause even after Phil and Rosie won? It's however updated the FIVB website is. I don't know, and I asked myself that question when that's I wrote it down. I don't really know. Well, Love- Jake, Jake and Casey were ranked one at one point. Yes. I love the fact that his wife is keeping it real. Are you really this good? I love it. Bravo, Lexi. Bravo. Well, look, I mean, it's not – the fact that they were the number one ranked team in the world is not surprising as in they're not, oh, my gosh, they're not good enough. How could they be doing that? It's the fact that they're a brand-new team. Casey was playing indoor two, two three years ago to yeah, make ends and really okay. full-time blocker, like you said, last yeah. year for the first time. So it's uh, it's awesome. All right, spin some tunes for just a second. 30 seconds, we'll be back with Tyler Hildebrand, actually coach for Patterson and Give. Give you a little more information and insight on coaching the sand with an indoor background. Thank you. 
Here on a Monday, appreciate you getting this on BB Mag site, streaming at any time as you wish on also the Blog Talk Radio feed of the Net Live inside of iTunes. Remember, it is free, just like the World Series of Beach Volleyball. Quick comment on Casey Patterson. You, you, that was a great question you asked about the way he is perceived by his uh, cohorts. There brought up on our message board, and it, that's an excellent thing because what you have to get past is is it manufactured? With Casey, it's genuine. It's just him. It's just him having fun. It's not him trying to push a brand. Correct. It's not him trying to manufacture a character and Correct. be somebody he's not. He, we've mentioned before, he's booming on a Tuesday. He's just out there booming oh, on a Tuesday. He's, uh, oh, if you see him in Huntington Beach at practice, he's doing the same exact thing he's doing during the middle of the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with no fanfare around, just popping and locking and booming balls. And having fun. Yeah. So we, we appreciate that about him. And, and really, once you get to that point and you understand that, as a competitor, when you see that in the person that it is genuine, it's not them trying to get attention. It's Correct. just them having a good time. It's a lot different way to perceive it. Because I've, I've seen players and played with some players. You can tell they're trying to push a brand. They're trying to be something just to get attention or money or whatever they need. It's not really an expression of their personality. Casey's fire is not fake. It's not fake fire. Not fake fire. It's real fire. So don't touch it. It's 100% real fire. Yep. <laughs> you may get burned. All right, spin up some uh, some music here. In association with the American Volleyball Coaches Association, the Net Live is proud to present Coach's Corner, a view into what it takes to build programs and teach young athletes in the sport of volleyball. Our next guest was a setter at Long Beach State, one of the guys with the most pure hands you'll ever see. He still has those hands, although he has Barnett knees. Or maybe I have Hildebrandt knees. I don't know. We can have that discussion. He's... BB Mag cover boy at one point, spent some time with the national team, but now has embarked as a coach onto the beach side of the game, coaching Casey Patterson and Jake Gibb to their best year and a fifth rank currently, at least as far as we can figure out with the FIVB. Welcome into the Net Live, Mr. Kristen Richards. I mean, Tyler Hildebrandt. <laughs> hey, what's up, Kevin? Hey, what's happening, Tyler? Thanks very much for spending a little time with us. We know that even after the, the week's busyness there in Long Beach, you are right back into the training environment. Tell us about how you got this job. How did you come together with Casey and Jake? Did we lose him? 100%. We had him and we lost yep, him? Yep, bounced. What happened there? I don't know. It wasn't me. He was right there. Maybe he was driving in the car and he lost uh... <laughs> Hey, is Vivaldi playing? Yeah, I hope not. All right. oh, we lost our other caller, too. We'll get him right back. Hold on right, one second. Hold on. We'll get him right back. Mr. Kristen Richards. Maybe he's he, younger maybe, than you. Maybe he hung up and got mad. Maybe he, he's younger than you, so he definitely has your knees, not the other way around. Yeah, probably. I remember he was talking to me about one of the surgeries I had, and I was like, dude, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do a patella realignment. It's crazy. His nickname is Baby Jesus, by the way. That's the hair, right? I believe is that so. what it is? Yeah. If he does this. I'm not sure if Geeter gave it to him or where it came from. Okay. That's well, another number. That's another five. Well, see if you can pick him up there. Let's see who this is. Hopefully it's him. Maybe he's calling from 
his other from a landline. Yeah. Maybe that's Casey. All right. Let's find out who this okay. is. Okay. Tyler, are you there? Oh, Kevin, is that you? There we go. There we go. We had yeah, two numbers. My cell phone was on its last legs there, so I called you from the office here at Long Beach. Okay, very good. Thought you just got mad and it was all over. <laughs> <Thank goodness. laughs> hey, so how did you get this job? How did you end up uh, connecting with Casey and Jake? Um, well, I've known uh, both of them for for a pretty long time. Um, I uh, kind of got to know Jake through golf. We play a lot of golf together, and uh, we started playing golf about six or seven years ago. And uh, kind of became friends through that. Obviously, I played two years on the AVP tour and got beat down by him a couple times. But really, outside the court was where me and Jake became friends. And uh, Lexi, um, Casey's wife, was my wife, Kristen's uh, maid of honor. So they've been best friends their whole life. So I've known Casey a long time. We played a bunch of tournaments together um, on the beach as well. We kind of both started playing out here in California on the beach together at the same time. So I coached uh, Casey and Ryan just a little bit last year, um, Ryan Doherty, that is, mm-hmm. um, for about a month right before kind of their season got going with the Cuervo Tour. And, uh, yeah, um, I just kind of – I also helped a little bit. I knew Rosie real well as well. So last year in the spring, um, you know, I'd be down in Huntington and kind of helping Jake and Rosie or helping Mike Dodd. Um, with practice, just spinning balls to him and doing whatever because I had nothing else going on. So um, just kind of all those things converged, and uh, I was around, and uh, Jake kind of offered me to, to do it, and I jumped on it. Right on. Now, when you're looking at constructing a practice for these guys, Casey mentioned how important the parts of a program are. When you're constructing a practice, how different is it to be on the beach with two people versus having six people indoor? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, and to tell you the truth, in uh, in December and January, I didn't really have any idea how to construct a practice. We kind of played it by ear. But um, there's a lot of different challenges. You, you know, you for for one, you don't have as many players, right? So the, the things that you can do are limited. You can't do waves or nevels or anything like right. that with only two guys. So you got to find a way to you know look at some things they got to get better at and construct and create drills to uh try and help that. Um we we were really lucky. Um uh, Rich Lamborn came to every single practice we had all the way up until he started with the sum, you know with the national team this summer. Um didn't miss a single video session, didn't miss a team meeting, didn't miss a practice. So that was a huge help. I have two roommates that are also coaches that uh, came down a couple times a week. So we kind of had a little entourage out there. We had, you know, between four and six guys that would help us each practice, and we'd get to kind of use them. Um, They were obviously kind of reaping the benefits of getting to train with, you know, the caliber players like Jake and Casey, Um, and we got to kind of use them a little bit to what we wanted, you know, designing practices for Jake and Casey using them. So those were some big advantages. As we got closer to the season, everyone had to kind of do their own thing. So um, now we go a lot more with, uh, you know, just one team versus another team and set up some, some drills just to try and, uh, you know, make us side out under pressure. Whether we have, Sometimes we have to skew the scoring because maybe uh, if we didn't, the guys, you know, lose that competitive uh, element to practice. Um, uh, especially going from the world tour back here to, you know, some local players where, uh, that level out there, I've just been amazed at how, how high the level is all the way across the board. Do you guys bring in other pros to work out then, certain U.S. players, U.S. pairs? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, we've trained with uh, 
Russ Marchuca, Pedro Salgado, if you, or not Pedro Salgado, Pedro Brazil. Um, we train with you know, the main team that we trained with all season, um, and are all, I should say, all preseason, um, and continuing to do so throughout the season is Ben and Kane. And um, that's, a, that's the number one Canadian team. And uh, they were, uh, it was interesting because, uh, you know, they, it's a new partnership for them. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, these guys are pretty good, huh, Jake? And he's like, yeah, these guys are really good. And uh, we were kind of bummed for at the beginning of the year. They didn't qualify, they didn't qualify, they didn't qualify. And now they've taken, I think, three of the last four, they've they've taken fifths or something. So kind of kind of making their way up the ranks. But uh, that's the main team we train against. Uh, we train against Casey Jennings and Stafford Slick and kind of whoever we can get. We don't train, obviously, with Phil, uh, with uh, Ryan and Todd because they're up in Santa Barbara. And uh Phil and Rosie, you know, we figure we're going to play them enough. We don't need to show them our cards, and they don't want to show us their cards, I think. So we don't train much with them. Yeah, it's got to be a delicate balance to try and get the level that you want across the net from you while not giving away what you're trying to do against the, that level of player. Yeah, exactly. That's That That was the main, you know, I kind of was like, hey, let's call Rosie. And Jake kind of said we don't want to, you know, in the preseason, we don't want to give up, you know, because Casey had to switch sides to go to the left. And we didn't want to give any information on what he does on the left because everyone knew what he did on the right, you know. So that was kind of one of the main factors why we we, we didn't necessarily train with them um, really at all in the, in the preseason. So When you're moving players from left to right, what are the main differences there? Because as a hitter, I, I wouldn't see much of a difference. Is it is it in the hitting or is it elsewhere in the game that the main adjustments are made if you're going to switch a player from right to left or left to right? Well, um I think it can depend from player to player. It can depend on whether someone's primarily a, a swing attack. You know, they're, they're swinging at most balls. Someone that's a vision, a shooter, which Casey is. Casey's, a, I mean, he can swing obviously as well, but his <clears throat> strength sighting out is to, to see the court and, and hit the open area. Um, and for sure, I think if you were to pull most players, when they switch sides, the, the hardest thing to do is, is get your court vision. Um, there's just such a delicate timing element you have to be behind the ball you can't be under the ball or early um and just the 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 timing of when you look when you get back to the ball what you how you see in your peripheral the block with the defender you kind of lock on that defender for a second you know with a, with a direct look then you got to hold on to him while you get back to the ball and uh at the same time you're seeing the block so there's a lot of calculations going on in your head and when you're on a different side of the court not only does it look different uh your timing's different where you take the ball as a, a right-hander, I mean, Casey's a right-hander, so taking the ball in the, in the, in the, on your right shoulder is what, something that we really had to work on with Casey because um, on the right, you're basically, that ball's drifting across, so you're always looking kind of to your left, so your vision is kind of right-side dominant peripherally, um, and then when you go to the left side, now all of a sudden your right-side peripheral is, you know, the guy setting you the ball or the or your own side of the court. Mm -hmm. So that, that peripheral vision starts, um, you know, takes some time to adjust, and that's just half the battle. The, the other half of the battle is, um, especially if you were to watch a guy like Casey side out, his vision is, I mean, you know, as good as anyone in the world, um, and his wrist is as good as anyone in the world. So it, it, making those last-second decisions and crisp, you know, shots to the right spot, um, take some time because they're different. You know, your cut is now your line shot. You know, your right side cut is a, is a line shot. Your wrist away down the line or your high line is now a wrist away slap down or a, or a cut on the left. So those are different shots. And so you have to see it first, and then you have to hit the shot. And that, uh, 
those are the two main factors. I think the vision and the, the, the selection of shots and then executing them is, is kind of what makes, takes a long time. But like you said, Kevin, as a hitter, an indoor hitter, you know, hitting in row one for you as an outside hitter, it, it, it's a little bit of a difference. But um, if you're just primarily swinging, it's, it's not as big of a difference. What kind of drills are you going at to increase court vision and, and work to adapt that or refine it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, with Casey, absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just vision's at a level that there's it, 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 it's almost there's just no point in doing drills to to increase his vision. Um, with him, it's all ball placement. Um, we want to keep it on the right shoulder. He has a tendency to slide under the ball, and it kind of drifts onto his head or the left shoulder. And that's just a uh, for uh, it's just a product of being years on the right and having that ball always being over there. So um, when he gets that ball on the right side, there's nothing nothing we could – I honestly don't think there's anything we could even do to enhance his vision. It's so good. Jake, um, on the other hand, is, is not so much of a vision shooter. He's more of a go up, get it high, and kind of make you deal with the, how, how well he gets the ball high and moves it around. Um, and so with Jake, we actually we, we spent a lot of time, especially this summer, working on his vision, and it's real simple. You just kind of – you're sending them balls, whether it's in serve, receive, or whether – you know, it, it goes in steps. You know, I, I always – we always start out practice, or one of the early things warming up is I – we call it bowling. I just bowl balls over to them, and then they work on it. And I – you know, I get into a spot and then I release one way or the other or give a couple fakes and then release and then he's got to hit it away from me or to me. And we mix it up. It's not as corny as the side-out game where we're talking, you know, 32-16 in midair. <laughs> but but it is kind of like that where we're making him have to see something and adjust. Um, and, you know, on the world tour, there's every federation is becoming fully funded. And, you know, Brazil is what everyone talks about with – you know, with 20, 20 people going with them to events, and they got video guys and stat guys, and you know everything that at their disposable. A lot of a lot of the other federations are getting to that point, and so there's tons of video, tons of data, volley, tons of breakdown analysis. So what what we've been working on, and what Jake always brings up, is it's funny how you have to adjust your game because you can come in and side out one way for half a season, and then everybody catches up and they start you know, getting on your, your shots or what you what your tendencies are and you have to adjust. So what happened early on this year is Casey got served every ball and sided us out to, you know, three straight finals. And then everyone started, you know, not everyone, but a majority of the team served Jake and and with uh, with Jake being the number one team in the world last year and siding out most of the balls because he got most serves, uh, you know, everyone kind of figured out what Jake was doing last year and so I th not that Jake struggled, but he, he had to adjust what he did on offense. And so a lot of that turned into us throughout the summer here working on his vision in those ways. So, How much opponent versus how much of Jake and Casey do you watch when it comes to the video? Um, well, I, I think that any time you can watch yourself, you're, you're getting better. Um with the way the schedule goes up until this point, we get a little bit of a we get we go to Berlin on Sunday and then we'll get a kind of a big break and we'll watch a ton of video on us. And luckily, USA Volleyball has been great and they they have a they've had data volley people to stat you know um, to code our stuff. So that's where we'll really use um, the statting of our. I don't know if you know familiar with that program, but it stats it in sync with the video. So if we want to watch. 
Jake's side out when he's getting served short. There's an area on the court that, right. the, that the statistician, you know, codes. So we can just watch all those if he if if we feel like that's a that's a struggle point for him or, you know, anything we want to look at. And that's where we'll really break down video and watch ourselves. We usually, or so far the last couple of months, we've only watched video on ourselves when there's something that we've been working on that we need to fix. Because right now we're kind of in tournament mode. We come home, we get like a couple lifts in with Timmy Pellet, and we get one or two practices in, and we're really trying to get back on our time, you know, get back on American time, not Euro time, and trying to kind of just maintain our level. Um, but, we, we, you know, we, we have three or four points with each guy that we're working on, both on block and D and on offense. And if one of those things goes off, one of the examples is Casey. Jake moves inside on his set. Casey, you know, is such a good setter that he actually brings it in sometimes too far, and we need to make sure that ball gets out to Jake's right shoulder. So whenever that comes up mid-tournament, I'll throw it on right after a match and say, hey, look, here's we're back, we're doing this again or whatever. Other than that, we watch a majority of the opponent because we need to uh, pick up just a few tendencies. Um, something that we learned early was, or that I learned as a new coach early, is that it's a little different than indoor. There's only two guys out there, so um, and these guys are so good that they, they can hit whatever shot they want. Um, but all guys have a few tendencies that they'll go back to. You know, they'll go back to the well with, and that's what we're really looking for. We're looking for how to get them out of system with our serves, and then try to find one or two or three points in a set that we know they're going to hit and get them when they hit them. Um, and those are that's what we're looking for in video because we side out well enough that we don't need to score as many points as. Phil and Rosie, you know, they score more points than any team in the world. Uh, we don't need to score that many because we side out uh, at, such a high level, at such a high level. You're listening to The Net Live in the ABCA Coach's Corner talking to Tyler Hildebrandt, coach for Casey Patterson and Jake Gibb, number five ranked in the world currently on the FIVB Tour. Tyler, what special equipment are you bringing down to set up drills? Uh, are you bringing down boxes, ball carts? What, is, what are you bringing to the beach each day as the coach? <laughs> well, luckily, I don't have to bring anything. They bring uh, the guys bring everything. But uh, we have a bench, obviously, one of those little step ladders that you get at Home Depot that we use quite often. Um, early on in the season, to dial in uh, where we wanted the sets, we would we would take the antennas together and put a band up, and that's kind of like a target for where we go. Um, in the past, we use elastic. You know, as just you know, I'm sure everyone has done it indoor, where you, you know you put elastic up about a foot and a half, two feet over the net. And you got to press underneath blocking or hit over that um, attacking. Other than that, we try to. Um, I, I try to make sure that we're doing things as realistically as possible. Um, we used a lot of that equipment back in December, January, when it was kind of just us, and we had all these guys to kind of help us out and four coaches, but. Um, as of right now, we use that box. Um, obviously, Casey moving to full-time defense, he did it last year, but not really a full season. Um, and this this is a lot higher level out here on the World Tour. You know, we constantly are working on not just Casey's defense, um, getting him more reps because his defense his defense is is great. Uh, we just need time to catch up on 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 reps. You know, on how many times he sees a guy slow down just a hair to to, to shoot over the block and you know having that visual key and then going for the ball. But also uh, we've had to adjust Jake's block. And so I think that we have an advantage in that also I can play a little bit so I can do things myself where I can toss a ball, jump and hit it and do things um, to set up drills that way where we're working on Jake 
blocking a little differently with Casey than he did with, with Rosie um, and working on a little bit of team defense and all that stuff. I kind of, whether it's the USA system or Carl or whatever, whoever you want to talk about, but, but the more realistic we can make the drill, um, the less tools that we use out there, in my opinion, it's better. It's better. Oh, gold medal squared beach. <laughs> Wasn't exactly going to say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had a chance to catch up with your your lovely wife, Kristen, after one of her matches in Long Beach a couple of weeks ago, and we asked her about volleyball discussions in the house and who talks longer and what it's like if she can hang in there. She she claimed that uh, at some point she just kind of has to shut you down. <laughs> This is true. This is true. I, I start uh, when she starts getting on Facebook or, or whatever. I know my time is uh, getting limited, but she she usually hangs in there pretty good. How much do you talk to her about her ongoing career and what's going on with her on the indoor team? Um. Well, that's uh, that's kind of a uh, that's adjusted for over the years. You know, originally when we were dating and she was in college, almost almost not at all. Um. And then for uh, – it's progressed more and more. Obviously, I've gotten more and more into coaching. Um, You know, she's got – her last two coaches have been Karch Karai and Hugh McCutcheon, you know, and I – for sure there's not a whole lot, A, that that I think I could even help her with, with with the advantage of having both those guys coaching her. But also, um, I don't want to be – I wouldn't want to say anything that is contrary to what she's working on with them. So – so it's in terms of when she's here in the summer, there's not a whole lot. It's a lot of just trying to keep her positive and keep her confident and all that. And uh, uh, but but there was a there was a, a little instance uh, last year in, in or two years was yeah two years ago in Italy. I was out there with her for three months. And uh, you know as you know, Kevin, playing overseas, it's, you know, one out of fifteen coaches out there are are real good. Right. Know? And then maybe a couple are okay. And then most of the coaches you get just aren't any good, um, and uh, so she, she she didn't have a great coach and definitely wasn't learning a whole lot of technical stuff. So I, I actually got to watch every practice and I I uh, you know at that point took the opportunity to try and help as much as I could and uh, it was good because I didn't have to coach a whole team. I got to just kind of almost one on one coach her. And uh, other than that, like I said, I mean with all the respect in the world to. Hugh and Clarch, uh, there's not a whole lot for me to say with with those two guys. (laughs) Well, hey, Tyler, we sure appreciate you spending a little time with us, and you had some great things to say about about coaching beach volleyball and hopefully giving some people some ideas of where to start or how to go and take the indoor game to the outside. Thanks very much, and uh, continued good luck with Casey and Jake. Cool. Appreciate the time, Kevin. Love the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tyler. Tyler Hildebrandt. Former national team athlete, star at Long Beach State, and now uh, coach of the number five team in the world, or at least as far as we can figure out. And, number five. And nicknamed Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Geeter, not afraid to throw that one out. Hey, great reaction to uh, to Geeter this week, by the way, from lots of people that it was kind of like a blast from the past. Justin Aval was announcing from Tuesday. He was there the whole time. Yeah. And I would make fun of him every time Geeter got on the mic. Everybody was like, yay, Geeter. Because <laughs> they, the yeah. they just don't, I kept told him, I was like, just they don't know the other guy yet. Right. So you just have to get time. But yeah, it was fun. Um, you know, got lots of comments, you know, like the band's back together, Geeter and I. I mean, we, Geeter had been announcing for 14 years. I did it for 10 of those years with him, and it just, I mean, it felt right. Cool. 
Very cool. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, good, good atmosphere up there in the booth. Dieter also concerned about losing his job with Time Warner because his voice was shot on Sunday. Because he considered coming today. He did. He, I, we talked yesterday. He's like, I want to come on the show, but he's like, I can't speak. <laughs> and here's the thing: like, for so long, you give it 110 percent, and then you take maybe a year or two off, or you're not doing it as much, and then you try to give it exactly what you had again. Yeah, your voice is like, nope. Shape. No, he's more professional guy than uh, than outdoor guy now. He's more Saturday, studio guy. Because Saturday, by the way, yeah, was the day. Yeah, because you had Carrie playing Jen in April. Right. Gold medal against silver medals. The crowd was there. The sun was out. It's not God's day on Sunday where not as many people come out. Saturday was the day. Geeter dominated. I dominated. Whatever players were playing dominated because I wasn't paying attention because I was dominating so much. Fans dominated. The event do- I mean, it was unbelievable. And Geeter shows up Sunday, and he is in a full panic about his voice. Nice. That's his moneymaker. Nice. I want some video of the Hildebrand household. I want some video of that discussion where... Where it's going on, it's going fine, and then Kristen starts to check out. I see her at the dinner table. He's talking to her. He's so excited about what he's talking about. And all of a sudden, like, she's looking at him and then just kind of slowly pans left to look at, like, her iPad or whatever. And yeah. five minutes later, Tyler's still talking and then realizes that she's not listening to him at all whatsoever. She's overdoing the dishes. Oh, yeah. He's, she's, like, in another room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's, uh, that's going to be an interesting volleyball couple for a long time to come. I, I still stick by Kristen uh, Hildebrandt and her year that I think she's going to have with that team. And, and Tyler, you can hear in the way he talks about the about the game that he's he's quite thoughtful about it. It sounds like a setter. You know, these guys, setters are forced to be thoughtful about the game from a very early age. Hitters, not so much. It's me hit, me spike ball, me spike ball hard. See ball, hit ball. Hit ball. Yeah. Me, hit, me hit ball. Me hit ball. Exactly. Me hit ball good. Yeah, as the setter. Step, step ball again. <laughs> as a setter, almost like don't you need to almost kind of know how to play every position because you're yeah. kind of putting people where they need to go, right? Yeah, you have to you have to look at the opponent. You have to look at your own side. There's, there's a lot to analyze as a setter. And I think you get a lot of mature athletes who become a setter, mm-hmm. but you also get a lot of maturity into athletes when they become a setter because it's just necessary to do the job. Yeah. It's not like being an outside hitter, especially an opposite. Opposite, stupid, dumb guys. Yeah. Big, dumb, hitting ball hard. That's it, guys. That's all they are. And Clay it, Stanley. I'm talking yeah. to you. <laughs> oh, and I played opposite, um, too. I think Clay's pretty good, though. Just going to throw that out there. Well, he's good at his job. I mean, me spike ball, yeah, you can be good at that. What else do you need to do? If you're really good at that, just do it. It's really fun. Yeah. It's fun to be I the opposite. I hit the ball as hard as I can. You have no responsibilities. I'm just going to hit the ball as hard as I can. I could have played opposite forever internationally if I could just block on the right. I could not block on the right. I was terrible at blocking. Now, why is, like, I could side out. I could not block. Why is that, though? Like, it's the footwork. Interesting. I'm way more comfortable going to my left. Blocking, in the blocking phase of the game. Hitting-wise, I can hit on either side. It yeah. doesn't bother me. But blocking-wise, I was so much more comfortable going to my left. I find it interesting because when I started playing beach, I just played either side, whatever the person I was playing with. You don't with. get the side argument. Correctly. But then there are some beach players that are like, I can't or don't like playing the other side. And I find that – I just find yeah. it – as an athlete, I find it interesting because there are major differences for sure. But I just find it interesting. It's like I don't – I feel fine on either side, but maybe because I didn't grow up playing a specific position, and I'm also not as good as these guys at this high level. Well, it depends on who you are, too. I think if you're traditionally a middle, a bigger guy, and you haven't played that passing position indoors, mm-hmm. 
then you're going to be more uncomfortable. Gotcha. As an outside hitter, for me, and when I played beach in the off seasons mm-hmm. and stuff, and before I went to college, I can play either side. Yeah. It, it it makes no difference to me to pass on the right or pass on the left. Yeah. Or hit on the right or hit on the left. Yeah. I don't care. You could I, obviously feel more comfortable on one side or the other. Like I get all that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But and as a, if I dug further into it, if I had gone to the beach and played the beach, maybe I, I would say different because I had di- I dissected it further. Yeah. But just from a standpoint of some of the skills. Because I come from the indoor background where I am passing on the right, I'm passing the middle, I'm passing on the left, I'm hitting on the right, I'm hitting on the left. Because I played that right-left guy. I was on the left all the time. But I played some opposite for years and years internationally, yeah. professionally, and on the national team. Uh, it makes no difference to me. Correct. But I'm sure if I went further into the beach game, I would I would figure that out. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, in watching the game, I think I told you this over the weekend, I was standing at the end of the court watching which was cool, by the way, that it faced the water. I thought that was pretty neat and, and unique for once you're an in, event. Once you're in the stadium, though, like walking up to it, it kind of looked blocked off. Yeah, but w- when you had the stadium view and you looked out over the water. Correct. That's that, pretty cool. That was bitching. Yep. Uh, but I was standing there, and, and I'm watching them play. Yeah. And I was watching Phil and Rosie, and I forget who it was on the other side. Because they were probably One of their matches they were probably on, dominating. on Friday, maybe. No, it was Tuesday. And I was watching them play, and I'm going – I can do this. In my mind, absolutely I can play. At that level, of course. tomorrow. Of course you think that. I can do it. You? Why wouldn't you? But then I watched Phil. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, you brought this up when you came up into the booth. And, I, I, and I've had this feeling before, too, when I watched Phil. I wouldn't know what to do with Phil. I mean, obviously, I'd get up in a block and I'd, I'd pick, it was pick him apart. But watching Phil, I'm amazed. I'm like, dude, that is awesome. He hits a ball so high, or he hits a like he hits a shot, but it's not a roll shot like over the ball. It's, it's a, just straight down. It's a hard angle shot. Yeah. By hard, it's not like he's not teeing off on it. He's just hitting in an extreme angle. It's direct. Very rarely do what you see Phil tee off because he doesn't need to. No, he just goes. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna. I see the ball on the two foot line. I'm gonna hit it right there. Yeah. Yep. I just he is he is remarkable. He has the combination I, of being tall. Yes. And extremely athletic. Yeah, and he's a smart guy too. He and he's knows. become a very good volleyball player. One hundred percent. Like Tyler said, like when Phil blocks, or maybe it was Casey that said, when Phil blocks, he's just taking up yeah, so Casey. much space. Yeah, he is. I mean, he literally is taking up so much space that there's only a small part of the court that Rosie even needs to defend, really. Right. Right. And he's one of the best defenders in the world. So if he has a small part of the court, he only has to defend. Rosie was touching everything this weekend, by the way. Every, he, he was crazy. Everything. And yeah. not only touching them. On Friday, the Brazil match, it was mm, crazy. Yeah, not only touching them, but popping, digging the ball like in a great area for Phil to come get his big paws on and set it perfectly for Rosie to side out. Alison and Emmanuel versus Phil and Rosie was a fantastic volleyball match. It was an example of how a defender can win points in a match. And he did. Because they were both like, Alison was teeing off. Yes. And, and Rosie it, was taking it. It was also a great example of Phil and Rosie outplaying their opponent, not the opponent going down, making mistakes and things. The opponent was playing pretty well. Correct. Manuel yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Allison were playing well. Oh, yeah. And Phil and Rosie were playing even better. Correct. It was so cool to watch. I almost dropped during the match, but I didn't know if it would upset people. Phil's clip of saying, I love beating Brazil. You should have put that on there. We were talking about it. should have. Throw it out there. Because I told, and I, like I told Dustin, at this point I've been DJing this for so long. I'm just gonna do what I want when I want. Because who's gonna get mad at me? And if you do, fine. 
My favorite Geeter comment during the whole thing was Rosie made a couple of gnarly plays in a row. And, of course, you're playing the Superman music, and Geeter gets on and goes, Son of Jorel! You've never heard that before. No, I... So we, oh, okay. I just like the timing it, of it. It works yeah. out, yeah. I just... I, he had great timing. That's and, 10 years of Geeter and I being together. Yeah. But that's the difference. I, I watch Phil, and I think in the blocking phase of the game, I don't know what to do. Hitting against Phil, I would love the opportunity to hit against Phil because it would just be fun. I love the challenge. He's a huge blocker on the beach. I watch the way Rosie plays, and they go, ah, this is how I would play the game. I'm not nearly as good a defender, but from the standpoint of hitting, this is what I like. I like watching people hit the ball hard on the beach. Well, look, Casey said it too. The men's side, like it's not as many shots anymore. Guys are just going up and pounding the ball. Pounding it. For beach volleyball, the way that you heard Tyler Hildebrandt talk about the game, mm-hmm. Casey touched a little bit on it. I sat down, well, I ran into Brittany Hochaver for a mm-hmm. little bit, mm-hmm. and I talked to her. And she was coming in to watch the women's match, the women's gold match, because she likes to watch that versus watching video. And one of the interesting things she said to me is she likes to watch between points. To see how the players are reacting? To see how the players are reacting. To get into the emotion of, okay, something went right, something went wrong. What is the next play? Mm -hmm. And with the video, you don't get that. If you're chopping it up with data volley, you don't really know, is this the next play? What what happened between? Was there a discussion between the partners? What got said? How did that person react? And I thought Brittany had a really interesting point about feeling the emotion of the match, watching the interplay of your opponent and how that affects the next point or what you might be able to do to affect the next point against that opponent. I thought that was a pretty interesting point. And I thought of John Sparrow and the way he described Matt Furbringer's view of the game. Furbiscuit. About how it's a little more in-depth. Because there's only two players, you can go so much more well, you have to. into the game, yep. into the player, into the individual as an opponent, that it's a different way to look at the game. And I thought that was very interesting by Brittany. And by the way, we haven't even really mentioned that Phil and Rosie won the FIVB Grand Slam event. Won it. Won it. Won. Yeah. That that match, that epic match, was a quarterfinal. Again? <laughs> yeah. For fifth, not ninth. You said ninth up there. It's fifth. Don't you get fifth if you lose in the quarterfinal? There's only four teams left. No, right? you play for fourth. No, you all four advance to the semis. Did we say ninth up there? Yeah. Well, not over the mic necessarily, but... Oh, we were talking about yeah, it? Yeah, we were chatting about it. Fifth. You get a fifth, right? Yeah. That, uh, you Yes, that does sound correct. Okay. Just checking. But that match was like, it was the last match on... For fifth. Saturday, I think? No, it was Friday. It's all kind of blurred together. I was down there Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Friday night. And very rarely do I want the last match to go three, because at that point I've been out there for ten plus hours. And I've even told teams this. If you nah, are the last match of the day... Nobody cared on that one. I'm going to root for whichever team. And they're all my friends on the court. I'm going to root for whichever team wins game one, because I want to get out of here. That's I don't I do take offense to it. Every broadcast. And then I tell them, if you actually go, if you lose game one and then win game two, you better win game three or else you've now wasted my time. <laughs> but that match, I wanted to go three just for the entertainment value. Geeter was in his zone. I was in his zone. The players were in his zone. The fans were in his zone. I mean, it was a moment that you can't – we could put all that up together again tomorrow, and it's not going to be the same exact moment as it was Friday night. It was, you know what I'm saying? It was just like the yeah. moment was great, and I wanted I wanted more of it just from a fan perspective for me. Selfish on my part. I it, it was fantastic. And if you didn't see it, shame on you because you <laughs> should have been out there. Although I, I was pretty impressed with the crowd throughout the week, so maybe Long Beach is the place right now. Both national team matches have done well there. 
I thought this event did pretty well there. Maybe Long Beach is the place. It's central enough to much of Southern California and it has enough freeway access yeah. to get in and out. It has a nice enough nightlife and situation that you could you could make an evening, a day and an evening of it. I heard some fans that I spoke to, they're like, oh, this event would be even bigger if it was in Hermosa or Manhattan. No, no. There's no parking, first of all. Agreed. There's also, here's what you get in one of those two places. You have more of a walk-up crowd because there's a bunch of people walking around. But what you don't get is you don't get the beer garden. Right. You probably can't get the booming sound system that they gave me and the outer courts because I was absolutely blasting people out of the stadium just because I could. Um, you're not going to get that in Manhattan or Hermosa because you're not allowed to. Um, parking in Long Beach is unbelievable. And it's a destination. You're going there for this event. It's not just there's so much other stuff going on You're not as just well. wandering around and you stop by for five minutes. Yeah, Correct. the Strand looks packed right in front of it. But that's partly because yeah. some people stopped and other people are just trying to get by. Well, and I told the people that are from the South Bay bubble that refused to leave for anything. By the way, it took me 20 minutes to get to Long Beach from my house. 20. And I live exactly. in the South Bay. You think just it's throwing far. that out there. It's not. You look at your clock, it's 25 yeah. minutes. 20, exactly. Which in L.A. is a joke. Yeah. 25 um, minutes is like five minutes anywhere else. That's the people from the South Bay bubble, like once they realize this event, if it keeps going like they're playing on it happening, they will have to leave the bubble to go see high-level volleyball. Let me summarize. If you're a volleyball fan yeah. and you live 20 minutes away like you and I do living in the South Bay, you need to go to Long Beach. It's the best players in the world. In the world. You don't get to see them. Haven't seen them for 10 years. Let me summarize the complaints and the noise coming from the South Bay. Wah! <laughs> Wah! Hey, change your diaper. Drive to Long Beach. Enjoy some volleyball, okay? Sheesh, people. You're not a fan. You're not supporting the sport if you're not willing to drive 25 minutes to go see it. Sorry. You're just not. Correct. Oh, well, I can't put on my flip-flops and go down to the beach and, you know, take my Strand Cruiser and my boombox and other stuff. Uh, shut up. I love that that is your South Bay You know, accent. You know those oh, guys. Oh, no, 100%. You know those guys. Dude, <laughs> get out of the uh, bubble. Awesome. Treat it like a real sport, like it might actually make money and yeah. people would pay to see it. Imagine yeah. that. You know, you know what this event got me excited for? More domestic volleyball in the United States. I was talking to Dustin about it on stage. Like It feels weird that it's so far into the summer for me, because my body's used to already being doing mm -hmm. two or three events up to mm -hmm. this point, mm -hmm. that this was the first real event in the United States this year, and it's basically August at this point. It's weird. Um, going back to school here in four weeks. Ugh, Kevin, why would you even say that? Well, you're not in college. It'll be all right. You'll no, but be still, doing your DJ thing. Sounds with friends of mine are like, oh, summer's over. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not over. Not over until I say it's over. It's not over for me until I'm done with my last beach volleyball event. How about that? I don't care <laughs> if it's go. December or next January. It's not over until I say it's over. Some interesting notes about the NBC coverage for you here. If you did or did not notice, I'm going to put it out there for you. The music that was chosen for the intro to Carrie Walsh and her participation Washy. was Cloud Atlas. It was the theme to Cloud Atlas. Don't know if anyone else out there caught that, but it's very cool music. I have the soundtrack from Cloud Atlas, and really, I like the movie. It's a weird film. You're going to have to watch it a couple of times. It's in my queue. I haven't seen it yet. You're going to have to figure it out. You're, the first time, you're not necessarily going to know what's going on. A lot of names, a lot of flipping back and forth, lots of weird speech in the, the after the, the fall kind of a thing, but it's uh, that was cool. To hear that music was cool. I like it. Very dramatic. One of my favorites. Also, my TiVo, it TiVo's a lot of things. Should we tell everybody to prepare a beverage real quick? Yep. Prepare your beverage. It prepare. <laughs> Walk to your fridge, grab some ice cubes, 
pour what you need to pour because you are about to drink. But go ahead, Kevin. Be prepared to shotgun. Yep. Because on NBC, big NBC, on Saturday, my TiVo was recording a couple of things, motocross and beach volleyball. And matter of fact, I got an hour of beach volleyball because I had recorded motocross. It was labeled motorcycle racing for two hours. And the second hour of it, after the second 450 moto from up there in Belle Plaine, Minnesota, the second 450 moto happened, and then they threw immediately to beach volleyball. So that was my world encapsulated in two hours of television back-to-back on Big NBC. Back-to-back. Your two worlds, like, all of a sudden you looked outside because dogs and cats were living together. Mass hysteria. The world was spinning off its axis in the opposite direction. You didn't know what had happened because your two worlds collided. I flushed the toilet and all the water went the other the way. opposite direction. Gravity, you all of a sudden were floating. There was no gravity in your house. It was really weird for you. So those that missed that match, the World Series match on Saturday on TV, you missed it because you weren't recording Moto. That's why you missed it. Because it wasn't coded right on your TiVo. Moto. It was Moto. And one more thing. In that little introduction package they had that they ran. Your Cloud Atlas package? Yeah, the Cloud Atlas package. After they were done with the Cloud Atlas music and they went on to introducing, they went to their, you know, music. Because that's exactly what it sounded like. Yeah, it was like 8-bit Nintendo. They showed Phil shanking a ball. Say what? Okay, we got the big screen here in the studio. They for me, for Phil, me and you, no one else gets to see this. Of all the stuff you could show, you show Phil Shank. Of all the fantastic plays that we just spent a couple minutes talking about with Phil, the shots, the pounding the ball, the massive stuff blocks, everything he can possibly do in the world of volleyball, here comes the Shankalicious. That's what we ended up with, was the shank. And for all of you listening live right now, if you want to run over to Kevin's house real quick to watch this, because he's pulling it up on his TV to show me. My and by the way, it says motocross. That's what you're going to right now. Motorcycle racing, but we're watching volleyball. So we have our little intro. We have Carrie. Here's Cloud Atlas is playing. Did, I, ha- get, did I get any love on NBC? Because I, I, I dominated the, the fans for them. I'm hoping you can hear a little bit of this. Very dramatic. They brought Marlo and Wong back. So she puts it away. Claude Atlas is playing. Hugs all around. Spins it out! Love Marlo's call, by the way. Work with Marlo on Tuesday. All right, so we finished the carry and Misty montage. That's gone away. Here it comes. Phil shakes it into the crowd. And that was an Olympic uh, <laughs> That was an Olympic one, too. That's funny. Of all the things Phil can do, he shanks it into the crowd. There's your intro right there. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, NBC, love you. But shank? Come on, show us stuff. Some intern's editing that down in the bowels of 30 Rock somewhere. And doesn't care. It doesn't care. Oh, I'll bet this shank pass. Sure, buddy. Throw it in there. Another interesting note from uh, Ryan Doherty's blog. He's kind of funny on there. There's some some funny stuff worth reading. He said that Casey Jennings uh, told him to F off or F you. Hey, if you're playing against Casey Jennings and he hasn't cursed at you yet through the other side of the net, you haven't made it. I don't know. You know, that's something I would have done when I was younger. I I wouldn't do it, and I didn't do it later in my career. Yeah. 
I think that's a maturity thing like that. You got at, oh. at some point that's got to go. That's how Casey fires himself up sometimes. Yeah, it's got to go at some point. He's got a little chip on his shoulders from Vegas. I thought it was right when I did it. It was not right when I did it. I don't. Sorry, think. sorry, Mike Lambert in practice in 1999. In you College gave him Spring. the f bomb. What yeah, did Lambert do? Do you stuff? He got really, you? really offended when you told him to f off. Yeah. Well, yeah. What did he do for you to do that? I can't remember. <laughs> that makes it even greater. I'm I so mad I at don't you. Know. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, but he's still ticked. Speaking of that era, I caught up with another old guy. We've had some young guys in the show. Let's listen to an old guy. Uh-oh. Ran into John Hyden. Hold on. Still getting it done. He's 41 years old. And that's not an exaggeration. I say Rich Lamborn's 47, kind of making fun of him. John Hyden actually is 41, and he's still out there playing with Nick Lucena. I caught up with him. I think it was Friday? Might have been Tuesday. No, it was Tuesday. Caught up with him on Tuesday. That was fun to watch the two of them split block, by the way. They're a little, little team. Yeah, but they team small. They if you want to watch a team with heart and that's going to give it their all, that's you watch that team. Both six foot five, by the way. Team small in the world of international volleyball. There you go. I don't think Nicholas is six foot. Yeah, maybe not six three. I don't know. Look it up online. On okay. your favorite website. All right, all right. Here's John Hyden. Forty year old guy. I'm old guy now. You're the old guy, John Hyden, out here at the FIVB tournament in Long Beach. The old guy stretching it out for the last fifteen minutes. John, what was the plan coming into this year? Uh, there really was no plan. Just stay in shape and be ready to go for whatever comes my way. So, and uh, luckily enough, you know, the FIVB came my way. Hasn't been going the way we planned, but, you know, at least I'm playing. And that, that was the plan. Stay in shape, be ready to go when someone asked me to go. Okay, so Sean Scott joined the Evil Empire. He started working for USA Volleyball instead of playing volleyball. What was that conversation like? Did you see that coming? And how did you then proceed from there knowing that Sean was out? Well, the problem was there was no schedule put out by any tour, so it was kind of a waiting game. We had to keep waiting and waiting. The more you have to wait, there's no paycheck coming. And I, I knew Sean was, you know, like me, kind of worried about that. We got families to feed. So I kind of figured it might be coming, and, and it did. <laughs> that kind of sucked, but, you know, people got to move on. So you have the partnership now with Nick Lucena, and you also mentioned you're playing with Tri Born. How have you managed a couple of different partners and a couple of different plans? Uh, well, it hasn't been easy. You know, in the beginning, I was training with Tri because I wasn't gonna. I, I didn't know I was playing at FIVB, and then when Nick asked me to play, I started training with him a lot. So you know, after this event, I'll have to go back and start training with Tri again and get ready for the AVP season. It, it it's been difficult, you know, just going from one to the other because you know with Nick. I have to block. I haven't blocked in 10 years. Yeah, I have to play on the left side. It's a lot of jumping. It's a lot of jumping, especially when you're 40, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you turn 40 and you can jump a thousand times. Okay. I'm 39. I can't jump twice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you know all about it. But uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a different part of the game. But you know, I, I enjoy it. So I'm gonna go out and do my best there. Okay, you've been the old guy for a while. Everybody's been playing that card on you. But now you have Tri Born as a partner sometimes. Is it really strange to talk to a guy who has so little experience? Uh, yeah, he could actually be my kid, the age difference, which is scary. But uh, it's not. You know, I, I look at it as uh, I'm coaching him to play with me, and he is so eager to learn. He, he listens to everything I say, and he uh, really... Unlike your kids. <laughs> They're not old enough for that. Oh, yet. you're not there yet. Okay. Not, soon, I'm soon. not there yet. Yeah, 11 is a break-even point. Yeah. But uh, he listens to everything, and he's coming up and seeing my trainer. So you know, I got that going for me. He just he wants to learn. He wants to be the best at what he does. So uh, you can't argue with picking up somebody like that. Okay, going forward, how many more years can you play? What's the plan after you finish playing? 
Because eventually you have to stop playing. I don't think you'll be out here in your 50. Uh, well, they do have the PEDs now. I guess everybody's <laughs> been everybody's been taken. Right. Uh, I don't I don't quite need that yet, so that's good. But uh, I don't know. The plan is hopefully the AVP is is really good this year and gets more tournaments and more money next year, and then we go from that. Okay. Good luck. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. John Hyden still getting it done at a high level. Amazing. It's still really good, by the way. And John, for whatever AG is, he's really good. He's a sneaky good guy. Mm-hmm. Nick Lucena, six one. For those of you who hadn't looked it up, yeah, he John was always one of those guys that you did you weren't sure what he was doing, and then you looked up and he was killing you. And you're just like, really? He sides out at such a high percentage. Like you watch his game, it's not flashy. He doesn't. He he'll, he'll give you a flex down every now and then, but he's not. You know, he's he looks more business out there than he does Casey Patterson, obviously. Um, but all of a sudden, you look up or you look at the stats, and you're like, he sided out yeah. at a high clip. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, indoors, he was the same way. Had this weird arm. Yeah. Solid passer, good defender, nice platform. But, man, he could he could hit the fastball before the fastball was really popular. He won King of the Beach twice. <laughs> and no, but like, and those were in the years, like, I was there. I was like, oh, we're betting on stage. Like, who's going to win? Who's going to win? And all of a sudden, it's like, Hayden's in the finals. You're like, what? And he's dominating. He's under the radar yeah, all the time. One hundred percent. Just the way he plays the game, the guy he is, he's just under the radar constantly. But John Hyden will be one of those guys who goes down as uh, one of the greats. King of the Beach twice, two Olympic games with the national team. I mean, that's dude. That is a fantastic career and still going at forty-one. And not and still going at forty-one at a high level and not um, at a high level for forty-one. Just at a high level period. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't even say, oh, he's playing really well for his age. He's just playing really well. And then that's the end of the conversation. You heard a little mention in there the fact that Sean Scott has joined the Empire. He has, in fact, started to work for USA Volleyball. Walking around the event this past weekend with a collared shirt on and a radio. And a radio. Came up and asked like a like a legit question about the event. And I was like, times have changed, Sean. Who are you? Yeah, actually, I called him neighbor because he lives three houses down from me. But he didn't really want to talk about it. I caught him up there in the VIP, and I'm like, hey, let me run off some audio. Well, uh, maybe later... I don't know. He, at this point, he's national team coordinator, he thinks, and he's not <laughs> he sure thinks. if he's part-time or full-time or, or whatever because of the mess that's going on with USAV and the the beach and the board. We're not going to get into that right now, but Sean Scott, congratulations on a new career. I've heard good things about what Sean is doing as national team coordinator good. and his relations with the players. Hopefully he is part of the solution over there as far as the players and the Look, from what I know of Sean, like he organization. wants to be involved in the sport and likes the sport. And, you know, from knowing him over the years, obviously, you know, this gets overused, but he wants what's best for the sport. So hopefully he's a good voice in that organization. And a guy who wanted the best for the sport as well was honored this past week. There was the honorary Dave Williams Memorial Players Tent, I yep. believe, or Media Tent as well. Yep. <clears throat> and there was a packet remembering Dave Williams champion for the game, 1957 to 2013. Of course, Dave passing away quite suddenly May 14th of this year. And he's left quite a hole, and that's evident by some of the testimonials here that's in this uh, publication. I thought a good quote from John Hastings publisher of Dig Magazine, said, Dave was both a survivor and a visionary for the sport. I circled the first part because, yeah, I think he was a survivor. Anytime beach volleyball went through some sort of tumultuous time period, you would, rising from the ashes, see Dave Williams. Yep. And uh, people will miss will miss him. And I know lots of people have differing opinions on Dave and how their interactions with Dave and this and that, but you can't say the man didn't work hard on behalf of the sport. There's no way that can ever be 
uh, challenged. And he got things done, too. However, he did. however he went about doing it. You've got to piss people off to get that done sometimes. Yeah. He got things done. So sad that Dave Williams is gone. Nice moment for World Series of Beach Volleyball and USA Volleyball to put out uh, this Dave Williams memorial and a lot of nice things said about Dave by a lot of people. Really? I think. Really? Can we get, uh, is he going to, we have a potential caller that we don't know if we're going to go to yet or not. I don't know. Let's talk about his hometown for a second before we get to him because I heard there was a riot. (sighs) No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's talk about his second home. Second home. He lives in Vegas. Correct. So U.S. Open of Surf also went on this week, which was nice and a little bit of a bummer because I think you do have some crossover a little bit with the fan base, but also the music aspect because U.S. Open of Surf has some music acts, too, that would probably took away from some of the um, World Series of Beach Volleyball music acts. But U.S. Open of Surf, great, fantastic event. I was there on Wednesday. Then one of my DJs took over for the rest of the time while I did the um, FIVB and the World Series of Beach Volleyball event. But the news today was at the after the event was over, by the way. That's what I don't like is, like, the events for the – U.S. Open of Surf is over. Mm-hmm. Some knuckleheads get into a fight, and it turns into a riot. Property damage, porta potties thrown over. It's just, just stupid cops show up, pepper spray, rubber bullets. I mean, it's just now you have stupid on stupid. We have stupid people oh, and stupid cops. Man, it, it's just a shame because that is, it really is a small group of knuckleheads right. that have marred that event. Because the event itself, like, it's great. There's no – I've been doing – I've been part of that event for – maybe this is my was my fourth year, fourth or fifth year. And you have over 100,000 people walking around out there. So, sure, there are going to be issues every now and then just because there's that many people. Go to an NFL football game. This happens in Philadelphia every single home game for the Eagles. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not a riot. <laughs> But fisticuffs are going on. They they have a court in the bottom of the stadium that's where they I'm, immediately adjudicate people. That's, that's like, how big an issue it is with the Eagles. Of course. Yeah. But, you know, it's Huntington Beach. You have a bunch of young kids. But there's no drinking on the beach. There's no alcohol served out there. So, obviously, there's restaurants and bars up top. But there's a lot of young people there that are just doing stupid things. And it's just a shame that this is what we're talking about as opposed to a fantastic, amazing event. All right. To, that happened. To speak on behalf of Huntington Beach, we yes. have a sometime resident who comes in from Vegas occasionally to visit Huntington Beach. Read pretty. First of all, are we live? It's a podcast. Unless you hear classical music, uh, you know that we are live. Oh, gentlemen, I just got done spicing uh, eyeballs for three hours. I'm on an ID trip. Uh, first bone I have to pick is. There, the cops should have done more, not less. I don't know what you're talking about, how pepper spray and, and uh, rubber bullets and tear gas is a bad thing. <laughs> the stuff that went on was absolutely ridiculous. And I'm thinking about starting my own vigilante group. To, uh, <laughs> Anarchists. I was thinking urban camo on the, uh, on the golf cart, rally around uh, some of my local residents and, uh, and take care of business. It was ridiculous what went on. I, I like the idea of starting your own anarchist group. Uh, I'm thinking that I'm in, and uh, we can we can figure out some other people who can who can be in with us. I heard national team practice is just kind of getting started again. You're you're part of that, and your cocktail, your ibuprofen cocktail, is part of that. Uh, of course, yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's good to be back in the gym, knocking off the rust. And uh, where the hell is he calling from? But but yeah, a lot of good events in Southern California last uh, last weekend. And we'll uh, say I'll go on record saying you had me moving. You had what? I, I dominated the event is really what I heard Reed just say right now. Oh, he was talking about Jeremy. Yeah, he's talking about me. Yeah, you had me moving. It was good. It was well, good apparently, stuff. everybody was in top form. I had him moving so event. much that he didn't come up and say hello. He couldn't move. It was 18 flights of stairs to get up to me. I'll give you that. Yeah. But uh, it's all right, Reed. Next time, next time you're at my event, you can show up. You can come say hi. I, it, it's so funny that you guys are rousing me for that because, like, <laughs> I always heard that if a pitcher's pitching a no-no, you don't talk to him, you don't touch him, you don't you don't approach him, you just let him do their thing. I let you guys do your thing. I love how Reed is talking his way out of this. Well, I mean, pitching I, a no-no. That's the way. That's the way to throw the compliment. Just heap it on him. I completely understand that. <laughs> um, but there's nine million people in my booth with NBC, the sound guy. The, I I was standing there for 40 minutes. Nobody said a word to me. I love it. I'm just no, a random yeah. guy in the booth. So. Yeah, the crack security team we had to get up to our area was not really uh, keeping people you up. You didn't even have a guard at the bottom. I didn't have a media credential when I first came up Kevin, there on day one. did you see those stairs? You didn't need security. You looked at yeah. the stairs, you're like, there's no way I'm walking up 36 flights of stairs to get up to those guys. It looked like Hogwarts. I would, when I would run down once a day to go to the bathroom, I'd see players, and they'd be like, yeah, I was going to come say hi, and then I saw the stairs and was like, nope. No. Yeah, not going to happen. Huh? All right, Reed, give us uh, kind of a dissection here. You've been privy to the conversations inside of the national team. Was World League judged to be a success? No, no, I don't think so. I think uh, we collected last week and, and had some meetings as a team, and everybody sort of uh, decompressed uh, and just, analyzed uh, the various teams and, and the national team themselves and, and the conversation was, you know, who do we want to be? So I think it was a learning experience. Um, I think everybody, like I said before in the show, wants to win now, so to speak. Dude, and so uh, there was a lot of opportunities that were missed uh, that we saw. And um, there's a lot of areas of the game that uh, we need to be better at. And so that's sort of the focus of this training block. The good news is, is there's, we're not going right into another tournament. We have about eight weeks to to dial it in. And I remember telling you at the beginning of the summer, you'll know all you need to know about this team by the North Seca event, and I still believe it. I think uh, I think you'll see a team trending upwards or or, or not, and and that's what you'll you know we'll not get this training opportunity again in the in the next three years, and so. Um, John and Dal are doing? putting together a good plan and trying to uh, oh, take what we learned from World League and, and apply it to practice. A lot yeah, of ball control right, work, a lot of non-setter setting, uh, extending the play, and, of course, uh, trying to figure out the serving part of the game and, and how to approach it. Well, that sounds good. I think we'll have a better identity. I don't know. I felt I felt pretty good about World League, given the personnel that were there, given the, the situation and their experience level. I felt pretty good about where things ended up. Hate to lose those two sets, and I was talking to Rich Lamborn about this, and I, I understand the player side of things. Believe me, if I'm a player, I think we should have won every match. I think we should be in the World League Finals. I believe in me. I believe in our guys. I believe in our, our system, our team, and so on. Looking at it from a broadcast perspective and just an analyst perspective on the outside, I look at it and say, pretty good. 
we can work with this. This is this gives us somewhere to go. And eight weeks is almost unprecedented as far as a training block. Is there anything out there planned to break that up? Because eight weeks is really too long without some sort of competitive break or distraction inside of that to just kind of break up the emotional side of training for eight weeks. There were some matches scheduled with Japan. Um, however, they had to back out due to the fact that they have to requalify for World League. They finished at the bottom uh, two positions of World League, so they have to requalify, and that interrupted our They're series of friendly matches here in Southern California. Reed, so, Reed, I think John's Reed. scouting the world to see is there anybody willing to come on their own dime and, really serious and Jake practice out here. I've heard rumors of maybe no, a Puerto no, Rico no, or somebody the, trying to yeah. tune yeah. up yeah. before the Pan Am Cup. Ask him. But, um, uh, might just be some inter squad scrimmage to see if we can sort of model. Um, the opportunities and success that the women have had of having those friendly matches, uh, the inter-squad scrimmages. So uh, we'll see. Reed, you uh, claimed that you were in Long Beach this weekend, and I'm going to assume you saw Jake and Casey side out a little bit. And as we all know, that you uh, dabbled in the beach a little bit and maybe had some off-season training with Jake on the beach. Maybe. Was there, maybe? Was there any... Uh, any uh, thought about that? Like, oh, that could be me out there popping and locking instead of Casey Patterson. How funny would that be, by the way? First of all, he's more of an 80s, he's more of an 80s dance guy than pop and lock, I think. But it's just my guess. <laughs> no, you know, Casey's a neighbor of mine, and our wives are getting close. And so um, I am extremely happy to see their success. And I think it goes to show that when a guy like Casey, who up, up to his partnership with Jake, really didn't have – uh, a team around him, a team meeting, um, you know, sports med, physical training, and all of that sort of stuff. Dad. And, and huh? Other than I think dad. that you see Fuck what oh. a good team can produce. And, oh. and, you know, I think there's a lot of players out there that you put that sort of structure around. If we had more opportunities here in America to play volleyball, we'd see um, – players like Casey, you know, that, that have all the skills, that have the fire, that have the hops and the ball control. And um, you put some structure around it and you see how it can perform. And so uh, I, I definitely did not look on and say, I wish that was me by any chance, by any stretch. But I did look on and say to my wife, man, if there was 15 or 18 more of these events in, uh, in the U.S., then uh, that would be – a special thing that you'd want to be a part of. I mean, I, I was able to run into Leonard and um, told him I appreciated what he did and, and hope that he can do more. I think that they had a very interesting model. I think they, I think they thought outside the box, and I think it was executed well. And, and to get on Big NBC Live in sort of a made-for-TV match, I thought that was such an interesting strategy and such a great strategy have the tournament already over and then create another event that's sort of made for tv and have it be awesome and uh and so yeah i think uh i think if they can gain some momentum then you know i'll be right there at 2017 i'll be right there with you right on well reed thanks for being right here with us for a few minutes we're about to close this show it was a good one dominated thanks dude good stuff guys all right, Reed Pretty checking in from Huntington Beach, and in his riot gear. I'm gonna I'm gonna be first to say you're welcome, America. You're welcome, <laughs> volleyball fans. 
because this was a good show. This was a good review of an event that you wish you were at if you're somewhere else in the United States. You need to come to the World Series of Beach Volleyball and the Long Beach Grand Prix next year. You need to be there. I'm sorry, Long Beach Grand Prix is a auto race. You should go to that. You should too. go to that too. That's actually a good race. Long, Long Beach. You should show up to this event. It was a lot of fun. Support it. Be a part of it. You'll love all the people that are there. You'll have access to the legends of yesterday and the stars of today. Come to this event when it happens again next summer. So I want to say big thanks to Casey Patterson. And, Boom. of course, congratulations on their victory. Thanks to Tyler Hildebrandt. Boom. Thanks to Volleyball Magazine. Boom. Thanks to Leonard Armato, Emily Boom. Day, and Boom. John Hyden. Boom. Sorry. All for contributing to this show. Thanks to Jeremy for showing up. And Boom. That is it. Thanks to Reed Pretty for calling in and being a part of the program. Thanks to you for listening and being a part of the Net Live here on a Monday. Oh, next week, Jeremy Roche, I have a meeting for a job. So, so we're, we're looking at Tuesday. Interesting. We'll have to check my schedule. Okay. We will check the schedules, but we're looking at Tuesday for a show next week or maybe some sort of pre-recorded effort. But we will endeavor to be with you. We will be missing you next Monday because some of us have to go out and earn a paycheck once in a while. Dang it, Kevin. That is it. That is all for the Net Live. I want to thank all of our sponsors and people that have contributed. Thanks to ASICS, the World Series of Beach Volleyball, for getting the sport going again here in the States. We hope the AVP continues that role on the beach side of things, and the indoor teams are looking good. Remember to follow the Women in Grand Prix. That's coming up here shortly. We will have another Net Live for you next week. I'm Kevin. He's Jeremy. We're checking out. Volleyball Magazine, the only print publication covering all aspects of the sport you love. VBM has been publishing the latest in volleyball news for over 35 years. With exclusive photo galleries, player interviews, event coverage, product reviews, and volleyball-specific health and fitness advice, Volleyball Magazine is a great resource for players and fans of all levels. Now with an even more robust online presence, check out VolleyballMag.com to subscribe and find exclusive web content and articles. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, Volleyball Mag is the industry's number one volleyball magazine. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.